Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you already know the 50-year mission is definitive oral history of Star Trek. And Secrets of the Force will tell you everything you want to know about the history of Star Wars. But what you probably don't know is Ed Gross and I have a new book coming out this July. They shouldn't have killed this dog. The complete uncensored ass-kicking oral history of John Wick, Gun Fu, and the new age of action. Coming from St. Martin's in hardcover, digital, and audio. You can order it today. Welcome back to the 430 Movie. We got our expert programmers here to curate Fantasy Theme Weeks of classic films. From 1998, film directed by Steven Soderbergh called Out of Sight. Yes! Soderbergh directs it with such a sort of confident, self-assured style. Lex Luthor in Superman. What is it about Gene Hackman that... uh... His performance, it's off the charts, but still in reality. Fiendishly gifted. 1981, Sam Raimi Opus, The Evil Dead. Oh, yes, fine choice. Sam Raimi invented entirely new ways to get shots that should not have been possible with the amount of money that he did not have. Charade. Oh, Directed by Stanley Donnan. It's a textbook screenplay. It's just effortless, and there's not a wrong note in this movie. Can't say enough great things about it. We'll be back next Friday with an all-new episode of the 430 Movie, wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us now. For the 430 Movie. The 430 Movie Podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. Hello and welcome to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we talk about interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. Most of the time, the movies you're trying to make don't get made. But like four of them may happen, one of them may happen, none of them may yeah. happen, and I'll be attached to three more things by end of summer. Turn the script into something resembling like Unforgiven with Conan. Yeah. Suddenly the rights expired and the whole thing just like went away Ow. overnight. New episodes will be available every other Monday. We won't see you at the movies. Best Movies Never Made, as featured in Entertainment Weekly, is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman. And we are the Inglorious Trexperts. A strange force has entered the galaxy. The future of mankind is at stake. It could only mean one thing. Greetings, Captain. Spock. I do not think you realize the gravity of your situation. The vacation is over. The crew of the Starship Enterprise. Enterprise, are you ready? Is taking adventure where it has never gone before. What are you standing around for? Do you not know a jailbreak when you see one? From the mind of a madman. Hostile force has taken control of our vessel. Mr. Solo, full ahead. Through the center of the galaxy. You know we'll never make it through the Great Barrier. To the final frontier. Fascinating. How often have you done this? Actually, it's my first attempt. Fire the rockets! You never cease to amaze me. Nor I myself. This is the boldest trek of all. Warp speed now. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Mr. Scott, you're amazing. I don't know nothing amazing about it. I know this shit like the back of my hand. 
And today we welcome you to the final frontier. It's where you'll spend the rest of your lives. The <laughs> ultimate Trexpert's commentary for the movie you've been waiting for. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Uh, it just recently uh, celebrated an anniversary. Uh, it's coming out on 4K uh, in September. And we thought it was time so you could laugh at us because we've been laughing at you about your love of Star Trek Three and other things. Uh, and uh, now you can say what, you know, we thought these guys were the Trexperts. We, we had so much respect for them. We love them. And now here they are extolling the virtues of the wonderful Star Trek Five: The Front Final Frontier. What are they on? We picked the wrong week to stop sniffing glue. But why, here we are. Why are podcasts being equipped with seatbelts? <laughs> I'll we, let you figure that out. We, we hope that by the time this podcast is over, you'll look at Star Trek Five a little differently than maybe you do now. And to join us is uh, Trexpert extraordinaire, the writer of, uh, of of films you do love, like Thor and Expert First Class, Mr. Ashley Edward Miller. Welcome back, Ash. It's good to be back. We missed you I here on the show. You. Had a couple of shows, Ashless. And uh, Ashless Shaps is what you were. <laughs> fortunately, <laughs> once again, it's Miller time. Yeah. And oh, uh, we're, we're, we're glad to have uh, Ashley hey, back here on the show. Being on Inglorious Trexpert is my first best destiny. <laughs> Hopefully and, not. And the way yeah. this will work is uh, we'll be delivering uh, commentary. You can, you know, watch the film on uh, your Blu-ray, 4K, um, or you can watch it on uh, streaming or on Paramount Plus. However you watch it, though, or maybe you don't watch it all. Maybe you're in your car and you just want to hear us talking. Maybe you have it ingrained in your, your memory. Thanks. You just want to hear us talking. You don't even need to have it on the screen. That's you're fine, too. about memories. <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. That's right. And um, before we start, I want to I want to put this movie a little bit in context. You know, this movie gets, as we talked about, alluded to, it gets a bad rap. But, you know, it was up against a lot of huge obstacles coming off of Star Trek The Voyage Home, the most successful Star Trek movie of all time at the, at the time. But it was a bit of an outlier. This, of course, was a film, The One with the Whales. It was time travel. Uh, it was a comedy. So it was very much a, a different kind of Star Trek, and it, it very much spoke to people who weren't necessarily Star Trek fans. It's the movie that even non-Star Trek fans could love. Uh, it's it's right. very accessible. It's one of the reasons they pushed it so hard internationally when Star Trek had never done well globally. So Star Trek V now enters a world in which Star Trek IV was no longer just considered, you know, a niche. It was like, wow, this was a blockbuster. So now Star Trek should all be blockbusters. They should all be huge, you know, like Star Trek IV. So um, you, you have William Shatner assuming the reins of the movie as director, uh, little known, seldom used, um, uh, favored nation's clause in his contract uh, allows him to uh, uh, become the director. And, and uh, but he was laboring under a lot of limitations um, because of the success of the, the um, Star Trek four. Uh, the cast was getting a lot of money. So that's called the above the line uh, on a budget. And so the above the line was never higher for a Star Trek movie. Leonard uh, held out for quite a while about even coming back because he was now a very successful um, movie director after the success of Star Trek four and uh, three men and a baby, which was a, a, a huge hit for touchstone films. 
he he wasn't sure he even needed Star Trek anymore. I don't know uh, if I need Star Trek, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> so they basically the actors, uh, you know, were, were getting paid a lot. You had Harv Bennett, who the studio was desperate to get back because they wanted an experienced producer uh, who had managed uh, Leonard and uh, have him come back to, now to manage Shatner, um, who had never directed a, a feature film uh, before. Now, of course, Harv had really butted heads with Leonard on Star Trek Four to the point where Leonard had actually thrown Harv off the set, wouldn't allow him on set. So there wasn't a lot of love there. It was a very tumultuous time. And of course, you had this little thing called Star Trek The Next Generation and the second season uh, coming out on um, in syndication. So it, you, you, you had a lot, of, uh, a lot of Star Trek going on. And uh, to complicate matters, by the time 1989 rolls around, you have a summer of blockbusters like Batman, Indiana Jones, and The uh, Last Crusade, and a not-so-blockbusting James Bond entry, License to Kill. So um, there's a lot of big franchise movies out that summer as well that Star Trek V is going to be competing with. And yeah. the question was, what would prevail? Well, I think you know the answer. It wasn't Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. But um, we'll get into that as we, we talk about the movie. Um, Darren, do you remember your first experience seeing Star Trek V? I absolutely do. I was uh, on location working on uh, Exorcist Three in Wilmington, North Carolina. And uh, I had seen all of those 1989 films uh, there um, one week after another. There was a new uh, movie to watch. And, uh, of course, I'd uh, been keeping up on the progress of uh, the production. And, uh, and Unlike Captain Kirk and City Alpha <laughs> 5. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was looking forward to it and, and uh, looking forward to seeing uh, Shatner's uh, entry into uh, the pantheon of Star Trek movies. And, uh, you know, I, I, I went and uh, I saw it and, you know, I, I, I mostly enjoyed it. I, I think I forgave it for a lot of its uh, fumbles um, because I just enjoyed seeing our crew together again. Uh, you know, much like uh, people give the excuse for liking Star Trek Three, that we're seeing <laughs> we're well, seeing the crew together again on the big screen, and uh, that's always a. a it, it is interesting that they do say success has many fathers and failure is an orphan, and yeah. it definitely seems that Bill took the uh, a lot of the uh, uh, the slings and arrows for the failure of this movie at the at the box office. Something you didn't mention is that they were on the brink of a writer's strike. Yes, that's right. Uh, and uh, the problem there was that they came up right against it and they had to use the script that they had before the writers went on strike. And so that was uh, technically a, uh, a, a bad situation to be in if you, uh, if you need to pivot and uh, deal with uh, the fact that they actually did cut the budget by a considerable amount before they started shooting. Uh, and uh, it's it was a tough situation production wise for uh, Bill to deal with uh, as a first time movie director. Well, wait, wait, though, I got a question. So this happened just before the writer's strike, and that's apparently a problem. But I don't get that because I thought that when the actors get to the set, they just make up the dialogue. <laughs> ah, well, see, usually they do. Oh. Like on, on most of the Marvel movies. 
Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's so funny. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Now, not that I would ever argue movies should be graded on a curve because really none of this should matter. It's what you end up watching at a theater. This yeah. is all interesting facts uh, about, you know, what was going on at the time. But I think it is important to understand the context. Um, one of the other things that clearly we'll talk about in this is um, the absolutely subpar, dreadful uh, uh, amateur hour, Super 8 movie, visual effects by Associates and Farron. And when Ralph Winter was on our show a couple of months ago, he talked about, you know, why the, why Associates and Farron uh, was hired. A, they came in with a much lower bid than I, ILM. And at yeah. the time, the budget was um, was busting. Also, they had had... Um, a difficult experience with ILM uh, delivering uh, a shots on Star Trek four that they felt they'd been overcharged for. And it was a, uh, it was a little tension between, you know, ILM and they felt like, okay, well, let's try someone new. It certainly worked out uh, using Dykstra and, um, and Trumbull, but uh, it didn't work out so well using uh, Abel. And some would compare this to the same thing that happened on Star Trek, the motion picture. Unfortunately, on Star Trek, the motion picture, when you had the app, uh, the, um, effects from uh, Robert Abel. Uh, Paramount spent the money to bring in Doug Trumbull and John Dykstra to uh, do all new yeah. effects, which were, you know, gorgeous and, you know, they had the, stirring. They had and, the money to throw at it because it was important to but them. On Star Trek V, Paramount basically said, we're going to cut our losses, yep. which was the case um, throughout the movie. You know, when uh, Bill ran out of money to shoot his big finale, his action-packed finale with gargoyles and rockmen that went by the wayside because he didn't have the money and he didn't as he said have the knowledge having been involved in shooting a big budget movie to have marshaled his resources and um you know it's interesting because you hear ralph winter um who said you know he he he, he felt they had plenty of money and uh, that they just didn't need that stuff so if you're a line producer who, you know, and Ralph was fun functioning as a line producer, um, it was basically, you know, not helping you get what you need or what you want. Well, you're not going to get it, yeah. you know, and uh, and uh, it just is um, it was not helpful that they cut the schedule. Um, there are a lot of shots. The way the reason they're composed the way they are is because sets couldn't be finished. And um the shooting schedules were truncated and uh, big lighting setups couldn't happen. I mean, and this is a great DP, Andrew Laszlo, who did Poltergeist. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, but but you'll see, I mean, look, we're talking about all the things that Bill had against him, but there's some wonderful things about this movie. There's some not wonderful things. And these are all things we're going to talk about. But before I do that, Ashley, I want to talk about, obviously, 89 was a big year for you. You're a huge fan of Tim Burton's Batman. Mm -hmm. How did Star Trek V fit into the equation for you back then? Uh, look, I was very excited about the summer of, of 89. I was also very interested in the whole seatbelt thing. I, I thought that that was, that was a great touch on Star Trek's part. Um, and actually, I kind of wondered why nobody had yet bothered to install seatbelts on starships this summer. Uh, but be that as it may, I was very excited to see this movie. Um, you know, I, I was, I love the fact that Star Trek had entered the popular consciousness with Star Trek four. Uh, I, you know, had some issues with, uh, Star Trek to next generation. I don't know that everybody looked at that show yet and went, wow, that's really great. It hadn't hit its third season yet. Um, so hope sprang eternal that the franchise lived and breathed 
and uh, all of that through the the, so the the words and the and the actions of the the crew of the original Enterprise. Right, that was the thing, um, and I couldn't wait to see what it looked like when they got yeah. back on the Enterprise with a fully functioning ship, and everything was just going to be. Oh, yeah. Um, so I also remember going to see it uh, with with uh, one of my friends um, and walking out of the theater, and he said, "Well, that was that was better than a lot of movies I've seen, <laughs> which is about as damning with faint praise uh, as you can get." However, all of that being said, um, there are certain things that I I want Star Trek movies to deliver on more than anything else. And there are definitely things that this movie delivered on. And I know we're going to have all kinds of conversations about the, the details of that, but I am, I am as diehard a Star Trek fan as I am a Batman fan. I am as opinionated about my Star Trek as I am about my Batman. Um, And Star Trek. Well, actually I'm not going to say that Star Trek five was the Batman and Robin of the Star Trek movies. That's not true at all. Um, because it's, it's much, it's a much better film than that. But, uh, it was, it was a difficult time. It was a difficult time in that first viewing. Well, I want to say, um, one last thing before we begin the commentary. And that's, of course, as fans of this podcast know, um, Star Trek has not always gotten the support of the studio in a big way Mm -hmm. after Star Trek, the motion picture, Star Trek, the motion picture, um, had, had, you know, a, 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 a big budget for various reasons. Uh, it was a big event picture. Um, in their mind, it didn't live up to what their expectations for it were. So you get to Star Trek II. It was produced under the aegis of the TV division. And in fact, one of the reasons they were able to swing it was because the Reliant was just a redress of the Enterprise. Uh, it's not quite a bottle show, but it's one step up from a bottle show. Star Trek III is a very cheap-looking movie, as we've talked about. Yeah. Not a lot of scope. They built you know, a planet set, but again, mostly on ships. And in sets that we've we've seen before, it's not a particularly expensive show. Um, Star Trek Four um, had a little bit of big budget, but now they're in the 20th century, much cheaper to film. You don't yeah. have to create a future. You have the Enterprise sets and obviously a Starfleet in the future, but but again, not a particularly expensive movie. Now Star Trek Five, that trilogy of two, three, and four is now over. Star Trek Five and and Bill Shatner are going to take this basically in a totally new direction. It is as close to an episode of the original as any of the movies have been so far. And, but that meant suddenly you're not redressing sets. You're not doing any of this stuff. You are going, you know, arguably to places you've never been boldly going strange new worlds. So you've never been to before and you're going to have other ships and others. It is a much bigger, you know, at least in that original incarnation, that original script with the gargoyles and everything else and Rockman, this is a big, big movie. And the studio never put the budget to make that movie. It was still a Star Trek movie. And again, a huge amount of that money went into um, cast. That's why in Star Trek VI, everyone took pay cuts to make Star Trek VI happen. And Star Trek VI is a much smaller movie. Yeah. And it used next generation sets and it used um, sets we've seen and even footage we've seen before. So um, Star Trek V went into battle with all these things against it. And now we're going to talk about that movie, the good, the bad, and the sometimes very ugly in five, four, 
three, two, one, engage. Okay, we're watching the Paramount awesome. logo. <laughs> <laughs> Look at those stars. It's full. It's full of stars. It's full, oh my god. And um, Paramount still a Gulf and Western company at this point. Yeah, it doesn't do the transition. You would expect that this movie would do the transition to the mountain. But um, now it opens with this cold teaser on Nimbus 3, um, which is interesting because, uh, you know, Bill had had an interesting idea for to reveal Yosemite where um, the camera would start outside the Milky Way and then travel through the galaxy, you know, and until it finally arrived you know, ramping and ramping and ramping until it finally went through the the clouds of Earth and then found them in Yosemite, which would have been a really cool, epic shot, but it was not to be. This shot is actually, this whole moment coming up was very much influenced by Lawrence of Arabia. Absolutely. And, you know, Omar Sharif. Uh, and it's a beautiful yeah. a shot. Really teaser. well directed and, photog and photographed. Photographed. Yeah. Photographed. Uh, um, this actor is uh, Rex Holman who you may remember as one of the Earps. From Spectre of the Gun. Spectre of the Gun. Who could forget? Reprising his role here. Apparently Bill did. Well, he's waiting for, <laughs> uh, he's waiting for it to be five o'clock before he can shoot. Um, but this is a really beautiful looking, I believe this was shot out of Trona Peaks, if I'm not mistaken. I know where Nimbus, a lot of the Nimbus 3 stuff was, was shot. Um, of course, this is Lawrence Luckenbill, whose most notable role was playing LBJ, um, who was cast. This was originally the hopes of the studio and Bill were to get Sean Connery. Right. But he um, was busy making Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. Which was, it was wise. And so instead, uh, the only remnant of Sean Connery is the name Shakari. Kill me. This is a, a this is a lovely shot as he walks up to this uh, strange bald guy. Yeah, with the uh, with the very odd teeth. Yeah, could you imagine Rex Holman going up to Shatner and saying, "Oh yeah, I was in uh, you know uh, Spectre of the Gun. What's that? Oh, he's an episode of Star Trek. You're, you're a day player. How am I supposed to I was uh, I was uh, I was you know the Western. I was one of the herbs. Oh, what? <laughs> this is an effect shot. They they added the uh, the uh, sand blowing in that side view. Your pain runs deep. But, uh, you know, we have uh, Lawrence Luckenbill looking a little bit like Obi-Wan Kenobi here. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, or Ewan McGregor. You know, no. he's, he's pretty good <laughs> in this role. Although there is, uh, you know, Sean Connery notwithstanding, he's always felt a little miscast to me um, in the sense that, that uh, I don't know that he personally... Um, quite has the has the charisma for somebody you're supposed to believe is as a messianic figure. Yeah, because exactly. Of course, Shatner's idea for this became you know was based at the time evangelicals and right. the Jim Baker scandal was going on, and so he wanted this sort of messianic evangelical leader. Um, but it was interesting because originally he was supposed to be much more villainous, right? Um, and and they felt it was too much like Khan, which is interesting because I think it's actually Walter who says, and he's right. Is the, he feels it's a lot like Star Trek The Motion Picture in the sense that at first V'ger, you know, is this enemy that must be defeated and then it turns out to be, you know, something else. And he says, the problem with Cybok is at first it's like a villain, but then he becomes actually our ally and the real villain is, you know, quote unquote, God at the end. And so you don't really have 
you know, a, a villain, um, you know, and it really becomes his movie. You know, it's about his journey, his quest. Um, Which and I don't really mind, except for the fact that, and this to me is the big problem, right? And this is this is the huge difference between those two things. In Star Trek The Motion Picture, no matter what we thought of V'ger, what V'ger was doing was still dangerous, right? right? Whether V'ger was an enemy or a child. And not only that, there were stakes that were inherently uh, tied up with what V'ger was doing. Uh, Earth would be destroyed. Uh, the Federation would fall apart because of it. Starfleet would be destroyed. Bad, it, dogs and cats were gonna live together in sin. Hmm. The, what undoes- I, I'm sorry, let me, let me stop sure. you there for just a second. This is the reveal that this is a laughing Vulcan. <laughs> yeah. And it's, a, it's, you know, it's supposed to be a powerful scene. And I think it is to some extent, it's actually from a, uh, one of the books that were written uh, called Enterprise, The First Adventure, mm -hmm. mm. which which has a, uh, a character almost exactly like it, which turns out to be a cousin of Spock's. Um, but uh, it's just very interesting that, uh, you know, pulling left and right from various sources, I think it's a good idea, and uh, it's uh, it's interesting. I'm sorry. Do, do no, go. it's okay. By the way, I love that book. Well, um, and I also, and wasn't that the Reese Stevens who Bill spent a lot of time working with? On, no, I think no, no, that it was, was Vonda. Uh, was it? Who was it? Was, was it, it Vonda McIntyre? I'm not. No, I think it, sure. it might have been. I don't know. Look, yeah. it was either Vonda McIntyre, Diane Dwayne, or the Reeves Stevens. One of the three. Right. right. Um, so my point with all this is that the 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 fundamental difference with Star Trek V is that there are no stakes in Star Trek V. Yeah. Except yeah. for maybe bad things will happen to the Enterprise. Maybe it's just he just needs the ship. Why to meet God? Okay. Yeah. Well, then what happens? Right? Why is that a problem? Well, the stakes we are there. Know. They are only involving our crew. Yes. Our crew are the only ones affected by this. Right. Which makes it feel small and right. makes the problem feel not so bad. Um, uh, so I wouldn't mind it if there were bigger stakes. Uh, I wouldn't mind the things that we're talking about in terms yeah. of what Cybot is doing. And that's the difference play. between an episode and a movie and why this feels so yeah. episodic as opposed to a movie. Because, you know, in a movie, it, it, this god creature you know, should want to enslave all the races of the galaxy or, or something or absorb them or whatever. So there's a much bigger threat. It should endanger more than just the Enterprise. Um, now, here we have, uh, we're now watching Mission Impossible 2. Um, <laughs> now they actually got permission to film it uh, at um, at Yosemite. Uh, although, you know, some of this, you know, some you'll see some of this is a fake rock they set up um, and you'll know when that is. But I have to say that um, one of the triumphs of this movie, obviously, which we haven't talked about yet, is the return of the great Jerry Goldsmith after mm -hmm. the yep. abomination that was the score for Star Trek IV. <laughs> I wouldn't call it an abomination. It was just a little inappropriate, that's all. Uh, that but yeah, this, is, this, is a great, this is a great sequence, and it's a great new theme that, mm -hmm. that Jerry came up with. Uh, it's mm -hmm. sort of the, uh, for, for lack of a better term, the lonely captain theme. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's a it's a great you know we hardly we hardly notice that this is a stunt double for Bill Shatner, um, but uh, later Tom Cruise obviously it is. Uh, my only uh, my only problem with it is that the color timing is wrong for early mm. morning. Mm. Uh, it, it should you know it, it would have been nice to have start started really all gold and then just move into uh, into cooler daylight. But uh, I, I like I like this a lot and it's mm. uh, certainly stunning. Uh, climbing. Well, remember, we're also in the late, we're still shooting on film, still yep. photochemical color, color timing. It's before DIs, certainly before CG. 
which this film would have really benefited from. Um, and uh, you know, this stuff, the second unit stuff of, of the of uh, is so beautiful, and then it's absolutely ruined, sadly. You know, by the process shots that are coming up mm-hmm. when he he falls, because all this stuff is gorgeous. It yeah. has scope. It's cool. You believe Captain Kirk? This is what he would do on his uh, shore leave, right? I thought he would be hanging out with An- with Antonia, with Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's uh, it's fun to see. Uh, there's the first time we see Shatner um, on the fake rock. Yeah, on the they built it. They put in a parking lot. Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah you sort of you almost half expect, uh, you know, somebody to kind of poke their head out and talk to him like he's Batman. Well, yeah. I mean, that sort of happens. Uh, that's true, <laughs> actually. <laughs> um, that's very true. But I have to say that these individual uh, shots are really well composed. Yes, uh, they, I agree. They are nice, and they're they're built nicely for widescreen. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's good to see him utilizing the full length of this of the uh, of the frame because it's uh, some nice composition. Yeah. And you compare that to what Larry Nimoy was doing in Star Trek three with all these tight close ups and static shots. And I mean, that's why there's an argument to be made that Star Trek five is a much better directed picture, but it's hard to get past the visual effects. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know. Like even here, <laughs> yes. I mean, even, <laughs> I mean, it's just because here he's just on a gimbal. Yeah, you know, uh, I have to he's say either that. on he's either on a gimbal or a Macy's. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think something else that kind of hurts, especially in these scenes that are so big and empty, is I don't, I don't love this sound in this movie. Like very mm. often, it feels it feels empty. It feels uh, dry to me, as it were. Um, And, you know, when you obviously when you're on a ship, you have more of an opportunity to kind of to fill the space with with sound and kind of give it some dimensionality. Um, It's it's a little more difficult here, but it just uh, there are there are things that happen with the sound in these outdoor shots that make me not believe it, that I think might have helped sell what's what's happening here. I mean, that's that's you know if that, if my alternative is uh, I can have better sound, but I don't get Jerry Goldsmith. The alternative then, factor, the alternative yeah. factor. Then I'll take the Jerry Goldsmith. Thank you. Well, I think unfortunately with this, we never had a big wide establishing shot because there's not you know they couldn't do the effects, yeah. you know, to even establish you know what's going on. So this is all super tight. Uh, now that is just that absolutely is so dreadful. I mean, <laughs> now this is done practical. This is a real decelerator. He was on a, on a decelerating. Uh, yeah. Now this this is, stuff um, this should have been cut. I mm-hmm. mean, this should have just been cut, you yeah, know, yeah. and just go with the POV. It's so bad. You I mean, it, it looks like Land and... of the Lost. Yep. Yeah. Of course, or... this was shot sideways, uh, yeah. and uh, they're actually hanging uh, from the uh, right-hand side there. And that looks nonsensical. It's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. Now, part of this also is, you know, Shatner likes farce, and so right. by not having a director like a Nick Meyer who can sort of rein in his tendency to go big. Um, it, it, it's a little problematic because, you know, some of the farce and the, the real jokey stuff doesn't work. A lot of that also is the studios pressuring him to be funny, right. to put all this funny stuff in. Be like Star Trek four. Funny, um, you know, funny. but also, you know, I feel like his performance isn't as dialed in because, um, you know, Bill doesn't like to do a lot of takes 
And so if the director isn't there, say, you know what, give me one more and he gets bored, then you know, he gives you something a little more low key. You know, I think I, I like the scene I, with Hart Bennett on the bridge, I just think is terrible. Mm-hmm. Well, I, every director has their their little foibles. For example, I, you know, if Nick Meyer had directed Star Trek V, Kirk would have been quoting Dante the whole way down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just think it's very difficult for a first time director to direct oh, yeah. themselves. Obviously. Yeah. Oh, completely. That's why Spock is barely in Star Trek Three. Gentlemen. Now, what I forget what her deal was. She was a waitress or something. Caitlin Dar, the the, the I was actress. Say, she's a wrong. No, no, oh, the like, actress. She's the never actress. done Cynthia, anything before. Cynthia Gow. Um, uh, I don't know what her deal is. I mean, you she, know what? I'm gonna look that up. Dubbed, uh, certainly, uh, but she certainly is, uh, you know, uh, well cast physically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, I think the... Uh, these guys are well cast. These guys are great. Um, it, it's just, it's a, it's an interesting thing to try and set up this, uh, the planet of galactic peace that is uh, sort of just uh, thrown together. Uh, like right. Much of the, like much of the movie seems to be. Um, but, I mean, look at this, this huge set. This set is full size yep Mm -hmm. it's unbelievable uh that they would that they would you know direct production money to building that thing that could have been done with a visual effect now i don't think that that was uh that was the problem of the visual effects company i think that was the problem of planning yeah Uh, absolutely because because putting all that money into this which you barely see which you barely see for mm-hmm. a couple of shots, and you know most of the uh, most of the action happens in this courtyard, and it's just, in my opinion, completely spent in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and here is Cynthia Gao. She entered Miss LA Chinatown uh, and ended up winning the pageant. Moving on to win Miss Chinatown USA, uh, she was a spokesmodel on Star Search, hmm. and uh, yeah, so I think. Um, she didn't have a lot of acting experience. And I think that's the problem with a lot of the casting in this movie. You know, um, you really need more experienced actors. Um, you know, I, I hate the idea of putting like Hart Ben in a cameo because he's the producer. Yeah. Like yeah. it should have been a character actor who actually can act. Right. Getting somebody who knows what they're doing. You know, my other issue with what happened in this sequence is look, it's actually pretty beautiful. Like all those guys come over the wall is really well done. Um, you know, the, the breach of the city walls is pretty good. The ideas are good. Spending, it is good, but we're yeah. spending all this money and we're we're utilizing all these resources on scenes that do not have our main cast. Yep. Right. And it's so interesting here because the whole idea of the hypocrisy of a planet of galactic peace where they basically put these over the hill out the, or inexperienced ambassadors knowing that nothing will ever come of it, but they got to pay lip service to it. Like, right. I, this is a whole interesting thing. And then somehow Cybok fig- fig- figures out a way to use this to his advantage. This is all very interesting. Mm-hmm. It's the only place in the entire galaxy that has the three of you. I mean, Luck and Bill is good. It's just he's not he's not Ricardo good. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I like to think I've sort of gone through an evolution with him, much like I did with uh, Michael Lonsdale's Hugo Drax and Moonraker, who I used to think right. was sort of a ineffective villain in Moonraker. And now I love I These think are kind reused, of gone, reused shots from four. Yeah. Yeah. That's why they're good. I, that's why I've, well, they could, but they put in the, uh, the shuttle. Yeah. No, 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 that's they're still... all cut right from four. Oh, 
<laughs> and uh, and uh, you know, I felt the same way. I I didn't love Luck and Bill initially, but he's grown on me. And, yeah, I mean, uh, he's better than he could have been. Now, um, this is also another thing. Shatner is well aware of how much the supporting cast has antipathy towards him, so he really goes out of his way to give them their moments and make yeah. them shine. They actually really all have talked about how much they loved working with him. It was unnecessary. Yeah. And absolutely. it does not help the picture. No, it, it just it, slows it down. It completely distracts from, you know, what we're used to. And uh, it's, yeah, too much time with them, honestly. The and other I problem is, oh, sorry. I was just, I was just saying, I hate how beige the bridge is. Well, I was going to say even worse, at least on Star Trek, the motion picture, you know, they use projectors behind mm-hmm. the screens to make yeah. flat screens, which look yeah. futuristic. Now that they're using TV monitors yeah, and it, it dates it horribly, horribly. Though the uh, those open uh, consoles that Mike Okuda came up with uh, faking on the surface of the uh, existing consoles is very clever and uh, mm-hmm. detail that I love. Stand by Starfleet. Scotty, this is for real. Even the um, the main view screen looks like a, a big screen TV circa 1993. Yeah, it looks like he's got a cathode ray tube back <laughs> behind there. Starfleet, are you aware of our... Because that's another thing. I mean, the Enterprise is as big a star as any of these actors, and it's just not shown a lot of love in this movie. Yeah. No. I mean, it's, it doesn't like, look great. This, this should have been the coming out party for the A, and right. instead it just reminded me then how much I missed the original Enterprise. Yeah. Absolutely. Here's another moment with uh, Sulu and Chekhov that is uh, practically ludicrous, uh, yeah. but it gives them screen time, which is what they want. They don't really care what the contents of that screen time is. Yeah. I feel so, like we could cut this movie down to a really great one hour episode. Of the well, it's funny because the cut that uh, Shatner turned in was over two hours. And, it, you know, he was really upset because the studio and Bennett wanted to cut it down, obviously, so they could have more screenings right. um, per day. And I wonder what that version would have would have been like i i think there's a much tighter movie in this mm-hmm. actually i think you could get down to 95 minutes and it'd be a better movie easily don't worry fellas you're seeing you know I, but uh, you know if you talk to george or walter or any of them they loved they said chatner went out of his way to be treat them really well and, Come and get it. now this scene i love yeah this is a good scene it's a little overwrought but it's it's not bad, and it's it's right. really nice to see them interacting together. Well, uh, what this scene does is it understands that Star Trek, more than anything else, is about family. And yeah. it captures that sense of family between the big three that's so important, not only to the original series, but to Next Generation and uh, to all the good versions of Star Trek. They get that Star Trek is a show about family. Right. Now, am I to believe that there are fart jokes uh, in this scene uh, that are yeah, unfortunately. subliminal? Um, that it, it's just it's a little yeah. Again, yeah. forcing yeah, forcing the humor here is a little bit clumsy, and it's it's sad because it's uh, it, I, I love seeing these actors together, and yeah, they don't need to force that to kind yeah. of get that 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 relationship. You know what? You're kind of talking about the, um, the the building that sense of of family as a theme that runs through this movie and the importance of this particular three-brother family yeah. that exists. You know, you could solve a lot of problems in this movie if you never did the fall. You could just have Spock showing up. You could cut right from yeah. all of that A-bone mm-hmm. uh, to this scene. 
Yep. And really tell the story that comes off that comes off of Star Trek Four, right? Which is our friend is back, right? And we're all back. That's together. a okay, great note. Yeah, boy, you, that's a great studio note. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, I mean, like you, you have them climbing the mountain, da da da. You, you, you cut away to whatever you cut away to, and then the industry presumably, and then you're back, and it's night, and they're talking, and he says, and and they're having this conversation without the beans. Yeah, cut yep. the bean line. That's a beautiful. That's that's great, and you lose all that. That's what they should have done in '89. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, be, you would have gotten rid of all these awful effects. And it's and, not just—it's not just about the effect; it's the tone, mm-hmm, it's the goofiness the tone of the movie, the goofiness. The, yes, I think that's a great note. And you know, look—I know a lot of people have said on social, especially after the success of what you did, Darren, with this uh, director's edition. But Bill uh, has not, not expressed any real interest recently in doing a director's edition. I think you know the film; he feels the film speaks for itself, and that the things that he wanted to do, he didn't get to do because of money. And it's not going to be rectified by, you know, but I do feel there is a special edition that, uh, you know, producers could do. And when I say producers, I mean the studio hiring the right group of people uh, to put out a special edition, which at some point I'm sure uh, could be shown to to Bill. But where would we find such people? (laughs) Yimbus 3, the planet of galactic Galactic peace, peace. I suppose. The only place in the world that has the three of you. I mean, Ashley's already improved this movie immeasurably. This was sponsored... (laughs) By Craft, uh, the marshmallow company. Yeah, you could order this. Um, you could order I was this. Gonna say online, but there was no online. Yeah, you could no, order it by. Uh, you could mail. order it by mail, um, and it was a marshmallow dispenser. Now you'll hear that uh, Spock is calling them marshmallows, and a lot of people are wondering why the heck is he doing that? Is this some kind of uh, uh, some kind of reference that we don't know about? Is this a regional thing? No, his sister was- used to call them marshmallows. <laughs> Yeah. I happen to know he doesn't have a sister. Um, the, the funny thing is, is that in the in the novelization, it explains this, that McCoy, in preparation for this trip, had doctored the reference computer and put in this uh, this mistaken reference to marshmallows to just trip up Spock and change the historical documents. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, and this was like McCoy's little personal joke on Spock to get him to call them marshmallows, which is, is sort of funny, but it's so it's so abstract. It's a long way around. It's a long way around to a joke that really isn't very funny. No, I think it's time to bring in uh, Darren Document for ADR for the special edition. <laughs> <laughs> merrily, 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 merrily. I mean, again, goofy, but not. You know, well, this part is goofy, but it's still sweet, right? And because I want it plays on their characters, yeah, specifically as opposed to just shtick. I want to remind people: a couple of years ago, we did a, a very good Q and A Q&A with David Lowry for the yep. podcast about Star Trek Five. So, if you want to hear um, David talk about the film, you want to check out that uh, from I think it was our third season. Uh, David Lowry came joined us at WonderCon to talk about. Uh, making Star Trek five. And more recently we had Ralph winter on the show who uh, talks about his experience making um, Star Trek five. That's a nice little, um, some nice little tracking shot. Yeah. yeah. And this is a, this is a nice little indoor set. Mm-hmm. That uh, Herman Zimmerman and his crew uh, set up. It's uh, it's nice. also work on the TV show. That's correct. Um, there's a, there's a little, uh, a, a little river behind them and a river runs through it. 
uh, that, <laughs> a little river band. Basically, uh, plastic bags with uh, a fan next to it to create the ripple. Good night, Jim. That's smart. And this is, of course, a little little reference to the Waltons uh, that obviously by this time no one had known about. Another thing it easily could have gone by the wayside. This is 100%. Awful. Using uh, the old um, Pioneer of Voyager Probe as target yeah. practice. And uh, the metal band that seems to have yeah. taken over. Yeah. Poison. White yeah, snake. Now, obviously, uh, Shatner had wanted sort of a, a younger, more inexperienced Klingon here. And uh, uh, he found a younger actor to play it. And I'm not exactly sure that it works. No, uh, I'm but, sure that it doesn't. Doc. But it's it's you know, it's using all the sets that they had for Star Trek four. So uh, it, it's certainly economical. Uh but, uh, you know, and we have these uh, uh, video graphics and, and, and visual effects that are absolutely awful. And there's no uh, point to it. There's no None. point. It doesn't make them more dangerous. It just makes them idiots. Well, yeah. the original idea uh, uh, initially was that the um, Klingon bounty on Kirk was still in effect. Right. And that, you know, which was, you know, also all these people are still hunting for him, the Klingons. But um you know, uh, they, they changed it so that this guy was just young and inexperienced and trying to prove himself. Um, and I don't think either of those really worked that well. And of course, the uh, the very uh, notable Spice Williams as, uh, what's her name, Vixus. Mm -hmm. uh, as, uh, you know, Nilo Rodas Jamaro, who did the uh, costumes, is a great designer. I don't think that uh, he was on the right track with this stuff. No. I, 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 he also was the on Star Trek Six. He was the production designer, also, wasn't he? No, he wasn't the production designer. He he was the uh, he was the visual effects art director, I believe. Well, okay, because he did a much better job on Star Trek Six than he did on Five. I thought you got to remember though that that and you guys all know this that um, and that some people in our audience don't that these incredibly talented people don't work in a vacuum right. where they, they get to make working, their own final decisions. They are, they, they are serving the taste the, of a director towards the intent and desires of the director. Yep. Well, and you have a lot of people who didn't want to be there. Like, you know, Shatner was really excited to be doing it, but Harv Bennett basically got thrown a lot of money. He he was kind of didn't want to come back after his experience on four. He, he wanted to do other things while, you know, he still had the um, the goodwill from his success as Star Trek of four. Leonard didn't really want to be there. He kind of came back for the money. And to his credit, I think he didn't want to screw over Shatner by not doing the movie. Um, because, you know, Shatter had ultimately been very supportive of him, oh. you know, through most of three and four. And, uh, oh God, these effects. Yes. Yes. Now, let me say that this reflection in the, in the shuttle window is really nice. And, you know, uh, at this point, we hadn't really seen that in any Star Trek movie before. Um, and I, I like the fact that it sort of ties in the exterior and the interior of uh, the ships together. Um, of course, it, it it looks a little funky when you're when you cut it with the with the uh, with this. <laughs> yeah, it mm -hmm. looks like somebody hung a model kit up on a string and filled it with the Super 8 camera. Well, yeah, maybe not that bad, but certainly. I, and this is very odd. The, very odd. Yeah. Obviously, this was done in camera. Uh, no, uh, no blue screen or green screen involved. 
and uh, they did a lot of this uh, full size. This is yeah. a full size set. And again, this is not necessary to do this full size. No, it's not. Yeah, the only it, reason why I think they, this is my personal theory, but I think the only reason why they did this was because they were trying to set it up for later. But the truth of, of the matter is, so what? Like, I, I don't know that the audience needs to, they're not going to believe you that there's a shuttle bay, especially since we take off from it later. Um, right. Well, right. it could have all happened also in the uh, corridor. This is a this is a pretty good steady cam shot. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you then more dumb need the humor. landing. You could look, just it, cut into your getting not, out of the look, It is nice to see the whole landing bay, even though it's much smaller than it should be. Yeah. Um, but uh, obviously, they they made up for it in the script by writing several scenes that took place directly in the landing bay. But notice <laughs> this has all been a one So basically, yeah. he comes around, you know, on Shatner. Now uh, the operator's in the back. Oh, now they cut. Mm. It would have been better to walk them under, but keep the shot going. Well, I mean, how are you going to do that? That's uh, incredibly difficult to do. No, uh, it, could, it would have been cool. Online. Put it on the view screen. Here, of course, is uh, one of Shatner's daughters. Melanie. That's Melanie, Melanie. Yeah. Who was the only actor of the Shatner girls. The other two, um, even though they were in Miri, are not actors. Leslie right. and Elizabeth, who wrote the book about the making of the film. But Melanie, for a while, actually was booking a lot of parts. She was working fairly regularly as an actress. I think now she owns a boutique on Ventura Boulevard. Well, there you go. Okay, now here comes uh, Harv Bennett with, I think that's Logan's Run in the background. The yeah, back absolutely. Painting, isn't yeah. it? It's the Logan's Run backdrop. Yeah. And it's a video playback, is how it reads. Yeah, Just it on, is. Or, yeah, yeah it, it could have it could have been film. Uh, right. But, uh, you know, it's it doesn't look good. And I, I love the uh, camera movement in the... Uh... Right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Apparently, uh, Starfleet Command has a DP. Well, yeah. to, to his credit, Nick Meyer was one of the few people to get that right, where he just locked off the camera and didn't yeah. have camera movement in the viewers. Um, but I hate this because I just think it's goofy. Mm -hmm. And Harv Bennett took work away from an actor. And, he and he's just, not it's not like he used to be an actor and then right. became a producer. He was never an actor. He's right. just like giving himself a count. It's just like, you know, this I is that old thing. I want you to go to Nimbus 3. This is that old story. They said, you know, they had a really fun time making this movie, which is why, you know, it's not a lot of it's not going to work Yeah, because, you know, like Jaws, it was the most miserable experience That's correct. of Spielberg's life. And look what you got. Whereas Hook, they had a great time making. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. On route. Since we're now, again, the this is a one and we're following yeah. uh, Captain Rod. A cam, which you hadn't really seen in Star Trek before. Yeah. And this is a nice shot. They used it in all Absolutely. the trailers. Mm hmm. I think this is a terrible idea. We're it's interesting because I forget who said this, but I don't know if it was Ralph Winter or if it was um, Harv Bennett. I, no, I, it may have been Nick Meyer. But the cast actually looks worse in five than they do in six. They look younger and better in six than they do yeah, in five. Yeah, because they're better yeah. lit. They're better yeah. lit in six. Yeah, they're lit like a so Univision soap opera in this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's very flat flat lighting and it doesn't it doesn't make the actors look good at all yeah there's not a moodiness and again that's not bill that's the dp yeah and too way too tight and just awful <laughs> and that's going to be a recurring i think word when we talk about the visual effects from associates and Farron. you know um ralph winter talks about the fact that what really sold them was their work on the god effect now yeah what's interesting is they gave to the uh, companies What's interesting is obviously effects work now 
is is really bid on piecemeal. You know, you'll it's not uh, uh, crazy to see you know ten or fifteen different uh, visual effects houses work on a big budget movie these yeah. days. But at that time, it was like, you know, you 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 had one company because it wouldn't it have been great had ILM done all the space stuff and maybe Associates of Farron did the God stuff. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, movies weren't made like that yet. Uh, they had just started to, because you know, the the abyss was uh, in post production at this point, and uh, of course they famously uh, broke down a lot of effects among many different companies to finish the film. Uh, but uh, that wasn't really the mindset because uh, that that's a scary thing to do uh, because you don't know the quality of anything from different companies, and you can't. It's not as easy to hold one company accountable for everything. Well, it's also now with CG you have a lot more effects that have to be delivered in a shorter period of time. So you have to use multiple houses and, uh, and certain oh, houses true. specialize in certain things. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I wonder if the, I just thought of this, I wonder if all the Steadicam stuff was a schedule thing because you can shoot a lot quicker on Steadicam mm -hmm. than, it, you know, having to stop and do multiple setups. Yep. And it I also may explain that, the lighting. Well, that's, mm -hmm. well that, that could be as well. But I also think that Shatner wanted to do uh you know, he wanted to direct these scenes and, and mm -hmm. he wanted to make his master shots uh, as interesting as possible. And I yeah. think that's what he wanted. To, you know, that's what all first time directors want to do. They want to, you know, show off a little bit with some camera handiwork. And, uh, you know, that's understandable. But it's interesting because here you see what we're talking about. We've criticized the visual effects. We've criticized production design. We've criticized the lighting. One thing we have not criticized is the direction. Yeah, the direction is really good. Mm -hmm. Again, this is the the physical direction. This right. is the the choice of the shots, the uh, the movement of the camera, the uh, blocking of the scenes. All of that is good. Uh, the only the motion of the ocean. Yeah, yeah, the only thing that I think you know we might have a problem with is the the director's tendency to go a little goofy sometimes. Yep, yeah. yep, a and, little. I would add to that that this is no, a great beautiful shot. But when we but throw I don't in the like other the crafts, oh my God, the set is ridiculous. It's like, why does this set exist kind of in the way that it Well, it because does? this is 10 forward redressed. Oh, I see. That's oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yep. Maybe I'm not the Trexpert. <laughs> You're not the one for a little dareness. You're a Trexpert. We're all Trexperts. We're all Trexperts. I got like a certificate to, to prove it. Too? <laughs> <laughs> Who was it he reminds me of? It was a young student. Now, this is interesting because, again, this is like probably the last time a captain didn't have a ready room. So, right. they, you know, instead of they go to the briefing room or they go to the nautical room. <laughs> but know. again, they're using this background projection, yeah. which, mm -hmm. which is great. And there's no visual effects involved except generating the star field, of course. Yeah. But uh, it, it really ties in the exterior and the interior. And it really ties the room very together. Very well done. It absolutely yeah. does, like the carpet. This is not about your rug. Well, it's great because you don't have to shoot in front of green screen and then composite yep. the whole thing. It is the it, the, the progenitor of the video wall, of the, the volume absolutely. of stagecraft. Not logic. Imagine or that. the successor to Intravision. <laughs> right. When he encouraged others to follow him, he was banished from Vulcan. Now, again, in these, you know, in these more uh, muted lighting situations, everyone looks great. They look yeah. great in the nice, darkly lit with the shadows and yeah. everything. This is terrific. And it also is a foreshadowing that this shit is going to go down. That's not 
Good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look at that area rug. Where'd they get that? On Melrose? Probably. <laughs> There's a boutique on Ventura. This this bridge is just awful. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look, I mean, Star Trek the motion picture. I mean, the, the the greatest bridge is the original series. Motion picture, gorgeous. Yep. Star Trek two, pretty good. Yeah, well, because it's the same thing as yeah, the- yeah, yeah, yeah. But stripped down. Yeah. But and again, it, like the 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 decisions that. I mean, and who knows, like, how much of this was forced on him by by time, by budget, by schedule. But a lot of the the sort of the creative decisions involving design, to me, are questionable. Costumes, hair, um, you know, just the the, the the color scheme. Like, again, like the, the hotel lobby that's mm-hmm. in the, the background of this thing. Um, they, they, those, I think, are signs of... I don't know if it, it it doesn't make look Shatner does a lot of things right in this movie. We're going to talk about more of them, and they're the reasons why I think we all kind of love this movie, regardless of its flaws. Right. But there are things happening in this movie that come down to oh, that was Shatner's choice. This is kind of awesome. I love it. I'd never seen anything like this in Star Trek before. Yeah, yeah. where they have a little commando team there, and uh-huh. uh, this is and it's a great dolly shot, shot. And like Absolutely. except for this monitor. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's you know it's basically a a landing uh, carrier for this uh, for this team. Mm-hmm. I just wish the exterior of the shuttle were better. And this is no, terrible. this is terrible. Oh. Remember when you were terrible. like a, you were in kid, you were kids, and you would like film like you cut something out and put it on a background and shoot a stop motion. You know, sure. frame, and, mm-hmm. and that's what that looks like. Like you were making like you cut out a little shuttlecraft you drew, and then you're yeah. <laughs> shooting frame by frame, having it land. Of course, over this is Walter's favorite scene because he gets Ever. to pretend to be the captain. Yeah, I'm the captain now. <laughs> but yeah, look at this. It looks like Cybox in Vegas. Like he's yeah. you know lost a bunch of money and he's uh, you know got he, hit by a scooter. Wood grain on the side of the nacelle. Oh, I know. Well, that's because they made it out of wood. It's fully here, recyclable. Oh, that's, that's the future. I think this is the biggest problem with with, with Shatner's director. I think Shatner. Can, is a great leader and can inspire confidence and has great energy and, and he's a great general. But I don't think his attention to detail was there. Yeah. Like, I think probably they said, your people know their jobs. Like, right, Hart exactly. Bennett probably told him, these keys, they know what they're doing. They've done tons of movies. And he probably just said, oh, great, and let them do, yeah, rather than exactly. we would do or as a showrunner, where you look at every little detail and say, no, redo right. this. No, this is not what I want. He, you know, He trusted everybody. He trusted everybody. Yeah. We made a big mistake. You trusted us. You made a big mistake. (laughs) Huge mistake, you fool. Because, you know, some of that, and, you know, and I'm sure he was getting bad advice because, like, people like Harv were probably telling him, oh, you know, Bill, we don't have time to make, just, you know, go, just trust them. They know how to make Star Trek. And, you know, for Shatner, it was probably all about the acting and the camera moves. Absolutely. That's what he's thinking directing is. Absolutely. You know, for as, as strong a personality Shatner is, his ego didn't sort of cover this. He was very, uh, he was very nervous about doing this. And, oh God! And so, speaking of nervous about doing oh. this, let's just stop for a second. This came up as a joke. They made yeah. a joke where David Lowry says, oh, "Maybe she does like a fan dance to distract him." And then Harv Bennett yeah. and I, presumably Bill, thought it was a great idea. Oh God! That's, what, you know what? I, I think every writer at some point has learned the danger of just popping off with the thing that sounds funny to you. Right. But you definitely don't want anybody to do because and then they run with it. they'll do it. Yeah. 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 Like Boober. Yeah. Like Boober. Boober's <laughs> awesome. But for, for as dumb a setup this is and dumb a payoff, the shots look good. 
Yeah, they did. Yeah, and this is like it feels like the original series. It's like yeah. a cool Jerry Finnerman kind of shot. Like a, a, these guys crawling a up the, the hill. Right? Like the moons behind her don't look great at all. Um, but all this, like when they were like moving across the sand, like oh, that looked awesome. And just the way it was all lit. I've always wanted to. And the tilt up reveal is good. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah. And people also don't realize when you don't have money, shooting at night is rough because you got to mm. light this all up. You need a lot of you need a lot of moon to to to, yeah. to light this place up. You want the worst is a good line, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Open the gate. It's they have light. some practical lights there, which is smart. Mm-hmm. But this is not easy when you're shooting wides at night. Yeah, and again, because you're shooting at night, you don't need to build all this stuff. Nope, you could hide a lot. Yeah. Night night will hide a lot. And it'll actually look better because then your lighting sources will really pop. The hostages. I, I like the I like the uh sort of uh one-horned horses. I mean, they're not unicorns, but they're close. Yeah, they're, it's like legend. Or they're horns. Horns. Yeah. A horns is a horns, of course. Obviously. I mean, I love this. Because we've never seen anything like this. To start. What he exactly. says, like the, the SWAT team going in to rescue the hostages. It's pretty cool. And here comes here comes the uh, the phaser. This great, this great phaser that Greg Jean uh, built and... Uh, I think either Nilo designed it or uh, actually Bill George might have had a hand in it, but uh, they're gorgeous looking. Mm. And this is actually a funny bit where he, he refers to Captain Chekhov. Right. And, you know, like, and great Jerry music, great music from Jerry here. Yep. This isn't great, but you can tell it's rushed. You can tell they had limited night. Yeah. And. Um, you know, unlimited time, and this stuff is not really a f great action. No, and honestly, they they missed a terrific opportunity to bring back the uh, the Captain Kirk patented uh, two handed flying, hammer flying blow. Oh, totally, yeah. and the flying <laughs> kick. Yeah. And I think there's a little bit of this not taking Star Trek as seriously as us when you have Spock giving a Vulcan neck pinch to the horse. Yeah, I. I don't think it's I don't think it's a it's a heinous uh, bad no, thing. No, I don't either. It's but it's a little, it's a little goofy. goofy. Yeah. I mean, I wish this movie had been more of a western. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, because it, it kind of works. You know, the idea of doing the searchers, or you know, just knock off a western. Yeah. This, this is uh, this is just this is odd. done. Yeah, yeah. This is embarrassing. She goes right into, into the, the pool table. And then, it, you know, the TV, I'll buy that for a dollar nonsense. You know, it's like, yep. it's not funny. It's uh, too too many too many mixed metaphors. You got, uh, you know, whoops. Uh, now, if it had been MRS, it would have been cool. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, it's, it's just crazy because this is, you know, this is more of a Star Wars location uh, yeah. than a Star Trek location. Yeah. And and this moment should be, you know, should actually be good and a surprise. It's just, it just sort of turns out flat. Yeah. Right. It's, it, which is strange because you have David Warner back there delivering yeah. that line. Yeah. yeah. I know. It's like, I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. Then Princess Leia, you know, takes them hostage. Like, that's cool. Right. But Instead it's just not executed that well. Yeah. 
And this poor extra who keeps turning toward the camera and nodding so that they see his face. Yeah, uh, it's uh, he's totally at sea. He has no idea. But what I remember that they, they were out in the middle of nowhere. They didn't bring extras from L.A. This was all locals for the most part. They wow. hired mostly locals, you know, who and, you know, people laugh about background extras. Well, what does it take? But there is a degree of acting involved and mm-hmm. you yeah. can't just hire anyone. And honestly, that's the sort of the responsibility of the uh, second uh, yeah. A.D. Yeah. to uh, deal with this stuff. And uh, it's just completely missed. I remember at the time how silly and how outraged we all were over Spock having a brother. Yeah, little did how we stupid, know. How stupid an idea it was to give uh, a Spock a sibling. How ridiculous and outrageous and yeah. Ill, ill-conceived it was Illogical. to give Spock a, a sibling. And I still believe that. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it doesn't really make any sense. No, it, it doesn't. Although, it doesn't. God help me. Well, God, in this movie, I guess, help me. I, I don't know. I... I once they introduced the idea of Cybok, the fact that Cybok was no longer a thing ever, to me, just felt, has always felt strange. Well, um, and has made this movie feel apocryphal. As it was no said it wasn't canon. It was no longer a thing until very recently. Mm. R- Roddenberry said it wasn't canon. You know, he yeah. considered Star Trek V, he decanonized it. Yeah, well, he's, he was know, the uh, Clarence Thomas of Star Trek. I think by by that time they had already defrocked him, so I don't think. Yeah, no, did. nobody cared at that point. I mean, it was sad, but nobody they, they didn't matter. You have anymore. no power here. <laughs> <laughs> I must have your starship. You staged all this to get your hands on my ship. Your ship? Who are you? James T. Kirk, Captain, Captain of the Enterprise. So clearly, Cyborg didn't know that he was drawing the Enterprise card. No. No, no, he just got lucky. Massive coincidence. The flagship of the Federation. (laughs) With his brother on it. (laughs) Right. Second chance to join me. What do you say? Sure. But look how we're getting drawn in. Yeah. She's luring us in. Right. Right. Well, look, these shots are framed really nicely. It's like Mm -hmm. the the acting here is all really good. Lawrence Luckenbill is good. He doesn't have the presence, I think, that ultimately that role needs, but... And yeah. Shatner clearly understands how to act without having to deliver lines. Yeah. Well, I hate to say this because I, I do like Lawrence Luck and this, but he's a TV actor. He's not a movie actor. And it yep. needs a movie actor. It needs somebody bigger and, you know, who can hold the screen. Well, it, mm-hmm. it's almost he's doing too much. That's what mm-hmm. it is. He's doing too much. And these actions are, you know... Huge on a big. That's right. Nothing is cool. Forty feet high. Oh my God! We're looking at the bird of prey uh, in a a starfield at warp, and it is just horrendous. Awful. It's uh, almost as awful as this interaction. Yeah, and again, we're back on the Klingon ship. Is again, not everyone is watching the movie. Yeah, they had it. They look. This set's not bad. It's 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 been used many times. We use it twice. But uh, but the visual effects are just and then these graphics are horrendous as well. I remember I had gotten a PC at the time and there right. was a Star Trek five game. And I, I felt like the graphics on the Star Trek five game were better than the ones in the movie. I'm sure they were. Oh, yeah. now oh, the God. shuttle is approaching the Enterprise in space. And it literally looks like they just cut out a shot from Starlog of the Enterprise mm-hmm. and, pasted and pasted it, it. onto a background. Back to the ship ourselves. Galileo, this is Enterprise. 
Okay, now they got to attempt a very perilous landing. The reason I'm explaining this is I'm assuming not everyone listening to the podcast is watching the movie. Right. So we're doing a little content. This is a nice shot. Nice shot. Your profile um, on Chekhov, and we yeah. see Dewan in the background. It's it's nice. No reply. Again, all of these are really well lit and and well directed and mm-hmm. and nicely staged. I, and I I love the I love the Enterprise in the background there. I love the idea. It's out of focus. Well, yeah, but it would be. Why would it be, but it'd be moving? Well, they, they are moving slightly. It's getting a little bigger. Except that as the, as the, there's something about the, the movement of the camera and the, this sort of the stasis of that view of the Enterprise, and you're on a ship that's in motion. Well, look, that it's, he's also, now, yeah, Ashley shooting this all handheld. So, they're moving, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> nothing else in the view is. So, well, I'm 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 all for calling out the bad shots, but I I don't think that's one of them. That's because you have sympathy for them because you had to go through it with stone knives and bearskin, and you know how hard it was to create good visual effects with no money. Us, on the other hand, we just have to write <laughs> holes about it. You can, you know, and I you don't want to beat them up for. You guys can just write this shit. That's right. <laughs> yeah. right. Exactly. Exactly. This is cool. As in barricades. He loves his push-ins, but I don't mind. Mm-mm. Oh. Okay, now we're back to the shuttlecraft Oof. approaching the Enterprise. Yeah. Frozen in stasis. The Enterprise, she yeah. looks like a toy. No, she looks yeah. like something that Korob and Sylvia would have held up. Manually. <laughs> the one in, in Requiem for Methuselah is almost too good-looking to be this one. Right. Uh, I, you know, fun bit of trivia. Uh, the first time I, I met George Takei at a, a convention to get his autograph. Yeah. Um, it you was just this after was this movie attempt? came out. I asked him to to sign his autograph to me. Ashley, it's my first attempt. Nice. Oh, okay. And then when he figured out why. <laughs> oh, very clever. Uh, I have to say, if all the people <laughs> who are clamoring for the supporting cast to get stuff to do, Shatter did a very nice job of giving all them stuff, stuff to, to do. do. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Takei has more to do in this movie than any of the other movies, yeah. other than six. Mm-hmm. And barely yeah, everybody gets their page. Like of Mission course, Impossible. he uh, he didn't he didn't get his promotion, but didn't get his promotion. Do. I know. Poor poor. Ooh. Oh, Speed okay. We're looking at the shuttle barricade. as it speeds into the Enterprise, <sighs> and it, we they just married an effect shot with a, a miniature and a practical uh, shot in the and shuttle bay. The full size. It looks like the Orville shuttle bay, having been on that set. Well, and the next generation shuttle bay, which yeah. was always out of scale too. Well, it might have been the next. Oh, generation it probably shuttle was the probably next generation. Was. Yes, that's a good shot. That mm-hmm. was also in the trailer where the push in on Chekhov. Oh, that's terrible. The, uh, oh my god! Oh, the, oh, the humanity. So uh, yeah, that was the scene where they fire phaser or proton torpedoes they fire photon and miss the Enterprise as it goes to war. And then the, the the cable netting. Yeah, I think that might be the next generation. I, I think um, it. I think it is. Which well, the plan I, was plan I, B I, I, for I remember when I was on the set of Next Gen many times, and I never liked that shuttle bay. It was always too, and I, I don't particularly like the shuttle bay on the Orville, having been there too. Just yeah. it's unfortunately it's just too small. My my favorite shuttle bay is still the um in in Conscience of the King. I'm just looking right. through the windows and not seeing anything, and just imagining. I'm pointing it the wrong way. 
<laughs> you sh- sh- shoot me with that welding device. I, I, the fishing I always, rod. I always kind of kind of found those, uh, you know, handmade weapons kind of interesting. Yeah, and, uh, and sort of sci-fi. In, in fact, so much that when uh, we were coming up with uh, the designs for the Kazon in the uh, pilot episode of uh, Voyager, Voyager. Yeah. Um, I uh, I based those weapons kind of on these. This was the shot that they always showed. The scene they were on Siskel and Ebert. Right. And it hasn't gotten any better. No. Uh, I, yeah. I, it's not It's not well choreographed. It's not well shot. That's nice. And obviously, this is supposed to set up a big decision time for Spock. It really never comes across like Well, no. it's interesting you mentioned that because Shatner's original plan was it was kind of the cheese stands alone. Right. And Spock and McCoy were going to turn against him. Yeah. And this is the case where the actors... Absolutely refused. Rightly. Leonard and D both said we would never, they were the only ones who had the juice to refuse. We would never betray Kirk. And they had to rewrite it so that Spock and McCoy don't betray Kirk. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. But Shatner is not wrong. It probably would have been more interesting if it was kind of Spock versus Kirk. Right. Um, you know, if that if Spock's the villain in a way that's really interesting. Right. But you have but to earn that- it. You yeah, you would totally it. have to earn it. Spock would have to be making a choice that you believe. And then you then Cyabok becomes kind of an issue. I will say though that what I do like about this this scene, that that fight notwithstanding, is that Kirk's plan, regardless of the effects, is not a bad one. Um, and it largely works, except that the dice just don't roll his way at critical moments. And there's a piece of information that he doesn't have. Right. I think that Shatner is is pretty good in this scene. Like when he's yelling at Spock, it, 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 it could very easily be over the top with the yeah. shoot him. But it feels earned in the moment. This is just a, t- a tough set to shoot. Also, um the, the costumes in the wardrobe here are terrible. Oh, God. You know, uh, this velour suit that's... And it does no... You know, they're getting older. It does it does it no favors in terms... It makes them look old, the beige suit and everything. Yeah. And um, the fact that everything's out of scale and the disco lights um, on yeah, the walls. Yeah, it's too much stuff going on at once. Yeah. And and they're obviously trying to hide the ends of the, of the set. And it just doesn't work. It's very yeah. confined for such a huge set. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of this episode, part one, to be continued. We'll be back on uh, with our next episode, which will conclude <laughs> our Star Trek V Ultimate Trexperts commentary on and both... We'll find out what happens. I mean, what's going to happen? I don't know. Who knows? We'll find out. So join us um, on the Trexperts Briefing Room, our sister podcast, and find out... If you will indeed grow stronger through the sharing or not, I don't know. We'll find out. Um, but uh, we appreciate you joining us for part one of our Final Frontier Ultimate Trexperts commentary. And we hope you'll join us again for part two as we continue to boldly go behind the scenes of the most unjustly lambasted, unappreciated episode. Episode? No, movie. Yeah, episode. In the Star Trek Five movie <laughs> picture series. So uh, on behalf of Darren, Ashley, and myself, 
A special thanks to Mark Rivera, our sound engineer, our producers, Peter Holmstrom, Natalie Miscali, and Zach Raggetts, and you for joining us yet again for another episode of Inglorious Trexperts. So until next week, keep on trekking, ingloriously, of course. This show was produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you already know the 50-year mission is definitive oral history of Star Trek. And Secrets of the Force will tell you everything you want to know about the history of Star Wars. But what you probably don't know is Ed Gross and I have a new book coming out this July. They shouldn't have killed this dog. The complete uncensored ass-kicking oral history of John Wick, Gun Fu, and the New Age of Action. Coming from St. Martin's in hardcover, digital, and audio. You can order it today. Welcome back to the 430 Movie. We got our expert programmers here to curate fantasy theme weeks of classic films. From 1998, film directed by Steven Soderbergh called Out of Sight. Yes! Soderbergh directs it with such a sort of confident, self-assured style. Lex Luthor in Superman. What is it about Gene Hackman that... His uh, performance, it's off the charts, but still in reality. Fiendishly gifted. 1981, Sam Raimi opus, The Evil Dead. Oh, yes, fine choice. Sam Raimi invented entirely new ways to get shots that should not have been possible with the amount of money that he did not have. Charade. Oh, so Directed by Stanley Donnan. It's a textbook screenplay. It's just effortless, and there's not a wrong note in this movie. Can't say enough great things about it. We'll be back next Friday with an all-new episode of the 430 Movie, wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us now for the 430 Movie. The 430 Movie Podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. 
Hello and welcome to Best Movies Never Made, a podcast where we talk about interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. Most of the time, the movies you're trying to make don't get made. Like, four of them may happen, one of them may happen, none of them may yeah. happen, and I'll be attached to three more things by end of summer. Turn the script into something resembling like Unforgiven with Conan. Yeah. Suddenly the rights expired and the whole thing just like went away oh. overnight. New episodes will be available every other Monday. We won't see you at the movies. Best Movies Never Made, as featured in Entertainment Weekly, is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. A strange force has entered the galaxy. The future of mankind is at stake. It could only mean one thing. Greetings, Captain. Spock! I do not think you realize the gravity of your situation. The vacation is over. The crew of the Starship Enterprise. Enterprise, are you ready? Is taking adventure where it has never gone before. What are you standing around for? Do you not know a jailbreak when you see one? From the mind of a madman. Hostile force has taken control of our vessel. Mr. Solo, full ahead. Through the center of the galaxy. You know we'll never make it through the Great Barrier. To the final frontier. Fascinating. How often have you done this? Actually, it's my first attempt. Fire the rockets! You never cease to amaze me. Nor I myself. This is the boldest trek of all. Warp speed now. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Mr. Scott, you're amazing. There's nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. to the briefing room. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman. And we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And this is... The Trexperts Briefing Room, where we bring you curated commentary of great moments in Star Trek history. And this is part two of our ultimate Trexperts commentary on Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. What have you done to my friends? I've done nothing. This is who they are. Didn't you know that? No, I didn't. Now learn something about yourself. No, I refuse. Jim, try to be open about this. About what? I've made the wrong choices in my life. Did I turn left when I should have turned right? I know what my weaknesses are. I don't need Cyborg to take me on a tour of them. If you just unbend at all. And be brainwashed by this con man. I was wrong. This con man took away my pain. Damn it, Bones, you're a doctor. You know that pain and guilt can't be taken away with a wave of a magic wand. They're the things we carry with us, the things that make us who we are. If we lose them, we lose ourselves. I don't want my pain taken away. I need my pain. The, the not hit 1989 motion picture. The commentary that is so big, it will not fit on one podcast stream. No, indeed it won't. So this is an entirely different podcast from Inglorious Trexperts. If you haven't heard part one, you want to go back to Inglorious Trexperts and listen to part one of our commentary where the Enterprise was hijacked by a messianic Vulcan, Cybok, played by Lawrence Luckinville. Shakari, 
the source. Heaven. Eden. Call it what you will. The Klingons call it Kuitu. To the Romulans, it's Vortavor. The Andorian word is... is unpronounceable. Still, every culture in existence shares this common dream of a place from which creation sprang. For us, that place will soon be reality. The only reality I see is that I'm a prisoner on my own ship. Who turns out to be none other than the brother, brother of Mr. Spock himself. Oh, brother. The brother from another mother. Now, with his Spock. band of followers, he's taken over the Enterprise and is imprisoning Captain Kirk and Dr. McCoy. What will happen? Stay tuned and find out as we well, continue. Course, joining us is Ashley Edward Miller. Indeed. Oh, Ashley is back. True. Hi, guys. And uh, Ashley, you know what it's like to write a big budget uh, movie. Fortunately, you've been very lucky in that uh, your movie has been successes. Your movies yeah. have all been successful. You don't yeah. know what it's like to wake up and see the grosses on uh, and the reviews on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you like, want a uh, Neo right under those bullets, man. Like, look, you can, I, I think you can weather bad reviews you can weather bad box office we had a big enough cannot weather as bad reviews on bad box office yeah 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 no this is this was rough for everyone involved because they as 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 ralph uh winter famously said the producer of the film uh we were smoking our own press releases from star trek 4 and believed we could do no wrong and of course they made a lot of critical mistakes but it doesn't mean that the movie doesn't have a lot to love about it and it has very mistakenly been called the worst of Star Trek movies, which in no way oh. is the case. Yeah. Uh, there are much worse Star Trek movies. Uh, I'm talking to you, Nemesis. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so now, without any further ado, Ashley, Darren, and myself bring you part two of our two-part commentary on Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, in five, four, three, two, engage. God damn it. What you have done is betray every man on the ship. Okay, now even the the look at this. Uh, look at how they did the um, uh, the bars for the brig. Is that because they didn't want to have to do uh, visual effects on a force shield? I think absolutely. You know, I, I don't think it's a bad idea. Mm -hmm. um, it just unfortunately it, it just looks like fluorescent tubes. Yeah, unfortunately, here's where I'm talking about where where Shatner really needs somebody to rein in his performance. He's just going too big in his yeah. confrontation with Spock over this brother-brother stuff. I couldn't possibly be a brother because I happen to know for a fact you don't have a brother. Technically, It's too comedic for a scene that should play much more confrontational yeah. and much yeah, darker. Right there. Yeah, right. Right. It's, that, that little wink and a nod to, to McCoy. And here, folks, is the first appearance of a toilet in Star Trek. That's true. Well, Which he's sitting on. He's sitting on. Like Potsy, sit on it. <laughs> it's like, yo, Spock, step into my office. <laughs> it's uh, these uh, these uniforms are interesting. They're sort of uh, based on uh, sort of British commando uh, sweaters. Um, Next, Star Trek. But commando. they need their beige, and they, it's not slimming, and yeah. they don't look good against the white walls. Yeah, yeah, they're just disabled. Totally. It's just a sea of neutral color. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're all in the neutral zone. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and as we said, they, everyone, everyone other than Chatner really looks old. They do. 
Now, this, uh, this was always, I think, problematic. For, and here, Nichelle just looks terrible in this outfit. Yeah. This is unfortunate. Unfortunately, these outfits make everyone look dumpy. Well, they're not well tailored either. So yeah. it's not only, you know, the girth, but it's it's more just that they don't f- flatter the figure at all. I guess they put it all into Cybox. Uh, um, Although that's, uh, I believe that Cybox was, uh, if not, uh, you know, copied from, uh, it might have even been one of the Vulcan elders from the motion picture. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, the fact that he then uses mind control or whatever um, to take over the crew. We've seen that in a lot of episodes where a sinister force, you know, uh, takes over the crew. It just it's very hard to believe. The problem is that we don't really see it happening. The conversion. Right. We right. And there's only one before and after. There's, there's only one Cybok. Like, right. How many therapy sessions has he scheduled? Yeah, I would much prefer if it had been, you know, he brought his followers on board and imprisoned the crew like we see our episodes rather than he like converts them all. This is the new brig captain. It is escape proof. Now, the Enterprise here is running with a skeleton crew, correct? Is it? Is it? I don't think they ever say that. Oh, God, I wish they did. Yeah. Well, that would make I a lot more sense. I that they were because that was your own. There's over 400 guys. <laughs> that was your decision to bring <laughs> right. logic where there is none. Cyborg's uh, plan collides with reality. Look at these astero tubes that are passing off as the bridge. Now, there they could have just used stock footage from any of the movies. I don't know why they put in just another terrible shot of the Enterprise at warp. Here's more Steadicam. I, I, I didn't realize this whole movie shot was Steadicam. Yeah. Certainly the stuff on the bridge. Yeah. Now, this this does harken back to uh, original series. It's a nice uh, shot. Where people stop in the corridors when there's an announcement coming across the uh, the uh, speaker. That's not Captain Kirk. You can't fool no. me. <laughs> By their emotions. I felt. Oh, these screens, these 1987 Sony yeah. Trinitron screens are killing me. I mean, well, look, I know we didn't know flat screens were five years away, but, you know... I just, Star Trek, the motion picture looks so much more futuristic. Absolutely. Well, it, they, they unfortunately have the same problem here that they do in the movie 2010 um, with all the CRT. Where's that guy sitting? That guy's sitting in front that of the main. I know. That's, that's, <laughs> um, this is actually a nice shot. And it I, is. And I think he uses a nice wide angle lens to make it feel a little yep. bigger. Yep. So We have been chosen. And, and the camera's over here, by the way, is very nice. The camera camera good. And and you know, Cybok's performance is of is just this side of good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is found Shakari. The reason Cybok left Vulcan. Our destination is the planet Shakari. But fortunately, Scotty is not co-opted. Uh not yet. Not yet, not yet. He's too drunk. <laughs> He's invulnerable. <laughs> he can't hear what Cybok's saying. Oh, I left my television. He's taking over the entire ship. I mean, you think <laughs> about the Kirk in by any other name. Yeah. You know, they're taking over the whole ship. You know, he's pissed off. Here yeah, is just he's like angry. Yeah. yeah, you know, this happens. And you can debate Shaka re and take your green in the face. Uh, I mean, here he's just making jokes. It's like, and the stakes are le- feel less heavy yeah. because everybody's so jokey. Yep. And that's the Star Trek Four effect at work. That's right. Yep. It's like they're already low and they just get lower. 
mm-hmm. and it's confusing. As you you heard me, I mean, I had to retcon, and for you know thirty honking years, I've believed it. I had, I had to retcon reasons why it was so easy for them. There's to no take over the enterprise. I right. love that. I mean, even here, this is this, this is played as a joke. You know. Right. Oh boy, here comes another of our favorite effects. Oh, this is terrible. Well, the the. As we'll see, the cutout from the wall is just dreadful. Yeah, but this is nice. Mm-hmm. This low angle shot, three shot, looking up at them. But then that is awful. Yes. What are you standing around for? Do you not know a jailbreak when you see? And you know, and this is the amazing <laughs> thing about doing. Pleaser. That's a big crowd pleaser moment for Scott. Yeah. The other thing about doing is he was doing was so good in the series. It's yeah. like a different guy. It's like freaking Paul McCartney became Billy Shears or something. Right. It's like a different guy. <laughs> Because he's just played his comic relief and this big goofball in the movies, whereas in the TV show, he's so good. Yeah. And so in command, and you feel like, okay, you know, if the command team is gone, Scotty can handle it. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. But I think that's also the Star Trek Four effect. Right. And it's, uh, you know... And it's doing leaning into it. Oh, boy. here comes I love what doing says. Oh. I, I didn't want to do this, but they, they told me they spent $200,000 on the set, so I felt like I had to. They normally call me one take doing, but this oh, took sad. a couple of times for me to get it right. Well, I mean, that, again, that would go away immediately yep. okay. uh, in any cut that we would be involved with. A gone, mm-hmm. gone, Here gone. Here is an interesting idea, but it doesn't really take into account the actual, quote-unquote, layout of the ship. Right. And, uh, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, and, you know, uh, it's uh, it's obviously something we haven't seen before, the inside, inside right. of a, uh, a, the turbo lift shaft, but it's just so goofy. Yeah, it's so also, goofy. This is like Keystone Cops, too, with Sulu yeah. chasing them through the Jeffries tubes, which for some reason are now massive huge. Yeah, uh, to accommodate a camera and a chase scene. I also question why we need all of the business that's about to happen with yeah, the rocket boots. We don't at all. In fact, it undercuts the tension that, yeah, OK, you know what? We have to climb up the turbo shaft is awesome, right? Well, you know, think, OK, that feels you, dangerous and it's like it's going to take time. But if you have the setup of that horrible rock, uh, rock surface uh, uh, scene, right. then you need to pay it off with this. The That's problem right. is, oh, my God, there's a shadow of the support right behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is it doesn't work in either the setup or the payoff. It doesn't work either. <laughs> so it, it, it's just something to do, and it doesn't really make any sense. Well, again, also the way that uh, Shatner's playing this, where he like, looks like he's afraid and it's yeah. funny. And, and then, the, you know, when he yells, fire the rockets, it's like that's not the Kirk we know and love being, yeah. you know, t- tough and in command and a leader. That's kind of like Bill doing shtick. Must be all those marshmallows. Oh, oh God. Okay, you don't need any of this. Oh, Captain, we'll be propelled upward at an unpredictable rate. Fire the rockets! Spock can compute the rate of rocket yeah. acceleration in his mind. He can, you know, this is so stupid. And 64. This big freaking really 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 It's like the went down and then went there. back up. Deck oh. 78. They're deck 78. And you can That's just a big you ship. Can almost, you can Not almost as big as our see, captain. Yeah, you can I almost think. see the forklift behind them. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay. Here we are back in 10 forward. <laughs> yeah, the nautical. Secret transmit. Except 
We could steer the ship from here. Activate wagon wheel. Well, you know. That would be great, actually. <laughs> that would have been great. No, auxiliary control is a, is a wagon wheel. I got your payoff right here. It's like that episode of The Office where uh, Rain Wilson thinks he's steering the ship. But Instead, they bring up a TRS-80 and start to yell at it. This was the other clip they'd show in Siskel and Ebert. Right. For those of you at home who remember watching Siskel and Ebert, which was the best. Request emergency assistance. Acknowledge. It was always interesting to see what they thought of different Star Trek movies. They they, they like Star Trek, so it was always interesting. Mainstream critics hit them in, like, I think Joel Siegel or Gene Shalit, like the big oh. Star Trek fans. Gene Shalit loved the Star Trek movies. Yeah. You're always curious to see what they would say. Even this, there's no smoke on the Klingon ship. No. Smoke it up. And those performances are so not good, there's no reason to see them interacting and talking. Well, she's a stunt enough. woman. He may be a stunt man, which yeah. are not necessarily, you know, you want actors. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem is they're not given anything interesting to do. No, that's true, too. And and the, the horrible uh, uh, crutch of having them speak in Klingon, uh, which they take so seriously, it really hinders it. And it, you know, I, really I try any meaning out of it. I tried to get Lawrence Luckenbill for the show. I never heard back. I got to try him again. I think I'd he'd like, be interesting to talk to. Absolutely. I think so too. Not as interesting as Robin Curtis was, but I think he'd be fun to, to have on the show. I want your respect. Now, this is perhaps one of my favorite scenes in all of Star Trek. Yes. This is a I great scene. This, scene. this, this is, is why you can't dismiss this movie. Scene. Yeah, that's correct. This is why I think we all love it in spite of all the things we've been complaining about for the yeah. last hour or so. This has all the all the wonderfulness of getting to know our characters better and drama with them dealing directly with the antagonist. And it's well lit. And so it's about now. Star Trek. Well, you know, it's yeah. interesting, too. I think it's very relevant to what's going on now. You know, people always say, oh, you got to deal with your trauma and we should have trigger warnings on stuff. And what this is saying is you've got to confront your pain, mm-hmm. right? That's how you get past it. You know, you have to deal with it head on, you know? And I think it's really, I, I, again, it's, it's it's one of those messages of Star Trek that's so vital, Yeah. you know? I mean, everyone hides a secret pain and then it's like, you know, it, it's just so interesting, you know, that, that, you know, Kirk and, you know, is talking about how he needs his pain. And then, you know... And we're learning think, stuff about McCoy we never knew, and yeah, it's 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 really interesting stuff. I don't Unlike this scene, to, I don't know how to react with the uh, with the tension between these two characters. I don't know. Or her and Scotty, yeah, yeah it's not, not good. And it takes away, it detracts from this because it's just a tonal mismatch. Yeah, no, yeah. it's more stupid comedy. The Klingons call it Kuitu. and this is a great this is a great moment for uh, Lock and Bill. Yep. Yeah, where he it's talks about all the different um, Eden-type yeah. planets that the different races believe in. And the, the way that he's appealing to Kirk here, I think is, even though, the, look, the overall thrust of the scene is great, but the way he's appealing to Kirk here, I think, is even more powerful than everybody hides a secret pain. Because yeah. what he's really saying is, there are things out there, Captain, um, that, that are worth know. seeing. And we need yes. to know. We need to find them. And that's what this starship is about. That's right? correct. Like, um, but there needs there's a cost that's associated with that that Kirk isn't willing to pay. And draw strength from it. What's now for D. Kelly, uh, I think he he loved doing this scene extremely much, 
And I love seeing him deal and with the situation. He's terrific in it. Well, he he had he was reluctant at first, but they addressed it by um, basically saying that um, his father was in pain. Yeah, and that's why. Um, but you know, he just needed something to latch on to because he didn't believe it that McCoy would do it. Once he un, uh, understood what you know what it was about, why he would do this, um, he just gave it everything he got, and he was so Absolutely. great. Yeah. You know, because D was an actor who didn't get as much to do as he was capable of. Yeah. And when he did, he just was terrific. Um, and this is a case of that. I haven't seen this scene in a while. Um, I haven't watched this movie in a while. And I love it's, how theatrical this is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very stagey, but in a good way. Like yeah, Spectre of the Gun. Because obviously all this is happening within McCoy's mind, right? Uh, right. But the externalizing of the scene uh, where, you know, we can see Kirk and Spock reacting um, is really magical. And the, the use of light and the use of, uh, uh, you know, in-depth uh, blocking is really great. If, if Shatner had been a young first-time director and he was doing a director's reel to try and get more work and had put this scene on his director's reel... He would have gotten hired to do other movies, you know. Yeah, it's like sure. this is—it's blocked well, it's shot well, it's performed well. Everything about it just works. The other thing about this whole scene, if you if you really think about it, is how it's powerful because it's very much on theme. Um, McCoy deals with the death of his father. Uh, Spock then contends with his own birth and the opinions of his father, or at least the perceived opinions mm. of his father, right? It's all about the connection to, to family and the baggage that we, we carry around um, about our responsibility to them, about our, our duty to them. And every one of them in this scene contends with that. Right. And uh, it's, it's powerful that Kirk says what he says, um, because what he's really saying, it, by refusing to play that game, is he is, he's telling us already that he is surrounded by his family. Right. Uh, and it's just it's an amazing, amazing scene. And it's and there's nothing like this. So Star Trek three fans, there is nothing like this in Star Trek three. No, that's like, a really good point. Close. That's a good that's a really good point. The Star Trek three doesn't push the envelope. It gives us a lot of like popcorn fodder that we love, like stealing the Enterprise and yeah. blowing up the Enterprise. But this is like this is like really smart and advances the characters. And it does it in a really compelling way, using the proscenium in a, in a really um, just, con- you know, a, a sophisticated way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To preserve his dignity. Oh, God. It's so good. And it's just, it's so real. Was it? No. Share it. Well, exactly, because this isn't about aliens attacking. This isn't some future side. This is something that people, you know, all these stories are stuff people can relate to, being the outsider, you know, confronting, you know, uh, the end of life of a, of a, a you know, relative. Um, and, you know, it's just like so much is, is, is it's truly the human adventure. Yeah. And an interesting thing that as we moved into that shot, we see the barrier uh, on the edge of the galaxy uh, mm-hmm. approaching. And it's all connected to the interior, which is really nice. Yeah, it's like a great little short film that's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Short track. 
It's a short trip, but like a so good we'll one. do our Connor Star Trek five. It'll be ten minutes. <laughs> exactly. It probably will. Be. Yeah, it'll be shorter. It won't be ten minutes. Ninety five minutes. Yeah, it'll be restructured, but it'll be fine. It'll be great, guys. You'll love it. And this is where Cybok has Spock confront the fact that he had a sister. Right. A sister. So. So it's it's interesting, uh, you know, the trials of Amanda Grayson as she uh, as she bears the birth of Spock, um, and I I love the fact that they put little pointed ears on the little baby, which mm-hmm. is which mm-hmm. is fun. I did that to my babies, and they did not like it. Yeah, that's that that happens. <laughs> <laughs> And here's the uh, the young actor playing uh, Sarek. Uh, and of course, I, I don't think they mention it, but uh, uh, Sarek's voice is actually Mark Yeah, Mark Leonard. So human. Yeah, which is great. Which is <laughs> yeah, such great attention to detail, and you know, just Spock. And the Spock from before Star Trek, the motion picture would have been influenced by this. Yes. But because of that film and the process that he went through to be comfortable with his human side is uh, really magical. This is who they are. Didn't you know that? No, I didn't. Shatner's so good here. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just a powerful moment. You could tell the scene was important to him. He got it. He knew how to play it. He knew how to shoot it. Yep. This scene is the movie. This scene is the movie. I know what my weaknesses are. I don't need Cyborg to take me on a tour of them. If you've just done Ben at all. And be brainwashed by this con man. And this is, look, this is, this is why there's only one Captain Kirk. Damn it, Bones, you're a doctor. You know the pain and And why he is the greatest captain in Star Trek history. Yeah. The things we carry with us, the things that make us who we are. If we lose them, we lose ourselves. I don't want my pain taken away. I need my pain. Cyborg, this is the bridge. I mean, so great. And so there's great. nothing jokey about it. Yeah. He just yeah. commits. And you can hear us go silent. Yep. Which is no mean feat. Spock? I cannot go with you. And there we have the barrier in full force. Yep. We yeah. do have the barrier. And I the love center this of the universe. Moment. When they I refuse to go, go with him. Right? Yeah, we it's don't know like, how he does it. You know why he does it? Any of this, but whatever. It's cool that they don't go with him. But it's it's brilliant that Spock is affected in a sense by what he sees and can accept even the emotional logic that yeah. Cybok is presenting, mm-hmm. but still be entirely capable of choice and free will. And, and, and it's powerful that McCoy sees the same, right? We, it tells us what's the most important thing about their connections. Absolutely. Because obviously McCoy wants to go with him. He's been convinced. But, but. His, his love for his comrades. Yeah. But I love, what, I, I love what Kirk is saying about just, you know, it's like, yeah, you might feel better having all this pain erased from the death of a beloved relative, the death of a pet or anything. But you want that pain to remind yeah. you of that. You know, the pain is important. You know, who wants to just have it all washed you, away? The pain reminds you of life. Mm-hmm. We'll see. And this is actually a great moment from Lawrence Luckenbill. Yeah. Yes. 
right? Because there's just doubt, but also this deep faith this is, and just... This is the moment that he turns the audience into being on his side. Yes. yes. And the then, audience is brought on his side instead of their, our three main characters. And now yes. you've totally been sucked in, and unfortunately, we're back to those awful effects. Which also suck. Uh, which are terrible. <laughs> and... Um, and, the, and then the br- bridge, which is incredibly overlit. But it's better than before. It's, yeah. it's better than before. And, you know, you also are seeing people, you know, unfortunately overplaying. You know, yeah. Nichelle, you know, putting her hand up to her mouth like in shock. And, and then this stuff is just embarrassing. The Enterprise going through the barrier. Yeah. At the center of the universe. That's right. Center of the galaxy. But I love Jerry Goldsmith's score in this section. It's great. It's great. Well, thank God for Jerry. I mean, Jerry kind of carries this on his he back. He does a lot of heavy lifting in this movie. Guys, I don't know where the heck, <laughs> for the Trexperts cut, where are we going to get the effects? <laughs> uh, Darren, Darren's we'll, going to do it. We'll figure out something. <laughs> <laughs> Just. Yeah. Is there anything usable? Nope. No, there's nothing usable. Except the God footage, there's nothing usable. Yeah. Well, the the view of the god planet is kind of cool. Actually. Yeah, that's true. Is it? Yeah, when when we actually see it, I mean, this isn't bad. Uh, yeah, okay, it's all right. It's usable. I mean, it's it's all it's it's almost like you know what the what the pitch was. It was a uh, electron microscope mm. uh, shot, and I think it's fascinating. And uh, we get a little. I mean, even this, it's like they're telling us how hard it is to get through this barrier at the center of the galaxy. Yeah. And, and just sort of just yeah. through it. You just kind of go through. But at least nobody got Esper powers. That's right. Right. This time. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, like this should have been like a big thing. Things should have been exploding and people should have been falling. And the ship, you know, you should really feel a sense the ship is going to be destroyed. And then it just makes it through yeah. rather well, than it's sort of like no earthquake. Left. No money left. Yeah, there's no money left. Yeah. They spent it all building that huge set. That's cool. It's like Walter says, Walter only worked eight days on this movie. Yeah. And he's in it a lot. Yeah. So, you you know, I don't remember what the shooting schedule was, but I mean, they must have been uh, moving like the wind. How do you just compare this bridge to Star Trek, the motion picture and how alive, even not, not even Star Trek two, but the motion picture, how alive that bridge feels mm-hmm. in the motion picture, like things like it's working, like it's functional. Yeah. Well, look, we said and, this before. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, it just feels inert. Well, the thing about well, the, the wonderful thing about Star Trek, the motion picture, it feels like there's a whole ship. Yeah, full right. of stuff. There's the cargo bay. They're always in hallways. There's always people running from place to place. Engineering is big. Well, there's a lot of people doing and stuff. On the, on the bridge, people are working on the bridge. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah, not yeah. just standing around. Yeah. The rest of you remain on board. You know, well, like, Uhura yeah. should be monitoring shit. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and there should be people at their stations. Yeah. Especially if they're going to a barrier where the ship is in jeopardy. They not you know, monitoring the, the matter, antimatter, uh, you know, mix uh, imbalance yeah. and yeah. all that nonsense. Now, here's probably my favorite uh, uh, Goldsmith cue. Yeah, I love this. I know what you're talking about. This it's is called one of my a favorite busy cue. man, and uh, it's great. Yeah. 
Now they're coming in for a landing. They're coming through some um, cloud tank. Got some uh, uh, dry ice fog there. And uh, this is so good. The Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, of course, uh, Ashley's talking about the music we're listening to, Jerry Goldsmith, not what we're seeing on screen, which is a bunch of really bad POV shots of clouds in different colors. uh, And here is a a molecule of salt. That's right. I am no longer in control of the craft. (laughs) That's kind of a cool moment. Of course, here's the the actual uh, uh, helicopter uh, footage. It was they either used a filter on or something. It's like oh, yeah. they, that they damnation alley it. crap uh, when they you see after the nuclear. Crazy. Yeah, this is terrible. And I'm sure they put a lot of work into the shot, but it's terrible. And the shuttle crap just looks awful. It's like an accordion that's been pushed in. Yeah. <laughs> the, they, they wanted to build it full scale, and so they had to uh, compromise in the design. And uh, they couldn't have any compound curves on it. They had to make it as simple to build as possible. And it just looks terrible. I mean, I do it, like, sorry, this moment sorry, where he in reached. That, in that first shot of it landing in the landing bay, there's two guys that are bringing a step stool for them to walk off of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I like that this is the Copernicus because, yeah. you know. That it shows there multiple, you know, that it's not the Galileo. Galileo every time. Yep, yep, exactly. Obviously, that was a uh, that was sort of a callback to the shot of them stacked up in the uh, sky. Inspector of the gun. And as, you know, as mysterious as Bill thought this looked, it doesn't. No, no it's not. It, it, it's it just it just looks like someplace on Earth. And it's unfortunate. Yeah, the only thing selling the otherworldliness of it's this the color. And, it, it, and Jerry Goldsmith. Well, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is it's just, you know, what you could do with this now in terms of giving it a more alien feel. Absolutely. You know? Here they're just trying to sell music and geology, but you know right. now this is where CG actually works fairly effectively in creating, you know, sort of faux. Yeah, you, know, you can see through sidebox. Uh, uh, now we're cutting the shots of Scotty trying to fix the transporter on the next generation transporter. Yeah. yeah, he's carrying around that wrench the whole movie. It's his favorite wrench. And unfortunately, it's, in that shot, it looks like he has no idea how to operate it. Yeah, I know. I know exactly. <laughs> now, this is a nice big wide, though. And then, so here, here you have the same thing that people criticize motion picture for. But when motion picture, they were looking, they were looking at like gorgeous effect shots yeah. by Doug Trumbull. Here, they're just staring out at the screen and they're looking at, you know, the desert. It's the desert, but different colors. Now, this is ridiculous. So we have a steady cam shop. It's drifting through the bridge. And it lands on a monitor on the back of the bridge where the Klingons have apparently followed them through the um, uh, barrier. The barrier. But yeah. nobody notices. Yeah. And now, by the way, I think that was a nice little transition from Jerry Goldsmith, like to kind of get the Klingon uh, theme oh, yeah. into that. Yeah, because he, he plays the Klingon theme slightly in the background. Mm-hmm. What's funny, this whole scene where they're approaching God is very similar when they're coming to a V'ger in Star Trek The Motion Picture. A little bit, but nowhere near as interesting to look at. No, obviously not. Decker unit. 
Um, so now are you decorating? I love the fact that, you know, luck and bill here just looks totally disenchanted. It's like, where is God? Did I lead them on a wild goose chase? You know, All right. was All I, this national lampoon's vacation. He loses his right. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Punch closed. <laughs> Going to Wally World. But it's interesting. It's like, was his faith misplaced? Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. He's, he's great questioning his moment. faith, which having, is really yeah, interesting. And everyone I, else is is sort of uh, thinking, well, he's he's insane, and he was wrong. Yeah. Enterprise, this is Kirk. We have a now the transition to the next sequence is uh, dodgy mm. uh, because obviously we're in bright sunlight. Yeah. And uh, and uh, we're going to be transitioning onto an interior set. Perhaps. And that's uh, that's uh, D in front. Both of them are in front of a rear projection. Mm-hmm. Now all the action seems to focus on that one peak, that Trona Peak. Yeah. We'll have to go visit that. Now this is, again, this is the ending that time and time again we've heard Chatner talk about how his vision was compromised. Uh, you know, th- th- there's no confrontation by the Rockmen. You know, originally, they were going to fire, and all these gargoyles were going to come out. I mean, this literally was going to be. They went looking for God, but instead found the devil, and right. that was something that Roddenberry had a, a real trouble with because, of right. course, he had written a, um, a, bu- a script called "The God That's Thing" that God Paramount thing. hated, and felt that basically Shatner was uh, taking his story. We're at least getting to do the story he wanted to tell, and he resented it. But people fought the idea that this was really God, because you know, for a while that was his intent was that it really was some kind of demonic being pretending to be God. Right. But now it's just an alien. You know. Spoiler. No, alert. I I, I kind of like this temple, though it looks like it's formed out of uh, Burger King French toast sticks. Mm. Mm, that sounds mm. delicious. It does. Now you're making me hungry. <laughs> Where's the maple syrup? But it's an interesting design, and I just yeah. wish that there was a better way that we could have gotten into it. Yeah, and I don't know that the rock monsters would have added that much because the essence of what you're talking about with you're looking for God, but you find the devil, even if you're talking about it metaphorically, works regardless of, of all of that. All the rock monsters and the gargoyles do is kind of is take the action and uh, and just make that bigger. But I, I don't know that the fist fight with the with the rock monsters, I don't think it would have this ending. No. no, it doesn't help at all. So no. why do it? So Ralph Winter was probably right. And you know what? For everyone who says that uh, you know on set effects are way better than visual effects, uh, <laughs> that, that's not exactly true all the time. Uh, but I think this is one of the most successful visual effects in the movie. Absolutely, mm-hmm. this whole the idea he has many faces, and this of course is the voice of. Um, Murdoch, uh, uh, George Murdoch. Right. George Murdoch not only was the admiral in Best of Both Worlds, but you may know him as Dr. Salek from Battlestar Galactica 1978. First, I thought you meant Murdoch, you know, Dwight Schultz. No, no. I pity the fool. <laughs> I ain't going to visit God, but no crazy Murdoch. But this is absolutely the, probably the most successful effect from Associates of Farron. And it's a creepy voice. 
And it leads to what is maybe another one of the most iconic lines in all of Star Trek for a movie that's so loathed. Apparently, this is uh, right up there with uh, uh, Kirk yelling Khan in Star Trek II um, is what is God need with the starship. Don't ask the Almighty for his ID, which I love almost as much. Which is, it's, it's such a great line for Kirk because at this point, he completely, the jig is up. He knows this isn't God. Right. He knows that they've been bamboozled. So it, it, it is exactly the kind of thing you would expect from Captain Kirk. You know? Yeah. It's a perfect Kirk line. I love, I love Luck and Bill's reading here because he's he's playing like a, you know, a 10-year-old child. Mm-hmm. And he's desperate. He yeah. is desperate to not be wrong. Can I show me? Yeah, because he feels guilty. And he's lost his faith. Excuse me. <laughs> my power to every corner of creation. Excuse me, I'd just like to ask a question. What does God need what with the starship? need with the starship? Bring the ship closer. I said. Look at this. He won't let it go. Yeah. He's obviously one of my children. Well, obviously, this is, this is where we get the... The sort of tagline for this movie, Captain Kirk goes up against the power of God and wins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Hart Bennett used to say, he said, look, the problem with this story was always the TV God logline was this week, the Enterprise, uh, uh, you know, searches for God or find, you know, confronts God. And of course, you know that they haven't really found God. So there's not going to be anything very surprising about the resolution. And he wasn't wrong about that. Right. And again, you still have the problem with the stakes here, right? Because, you know, the 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 alien is saying you'll carry my power to like every planet in creation or whatever. And I guess that's supposed to sound bad, except we don't know what that means. Yeah, exactly. You said that. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have to have stakes. It's like, oh, no, Viridian 3 will be destroyed. Well, we've never right. seen it. We've never met anybody from Viridian 3. Who knows? So same thing with this. We got to know what this guy, this evil entity is going to do and why it's so important to stop him. But this is good. Yeah, this is great. Well, look at these. These so good. This is a real triumph for D. Kelly. Yeah. Because he, he sees the God creature beat the shit out of Kirk and Spock and he still stands up to him. Yep. All yep. right. Exactly. And eternity I've been in prison. And get motor oil on their um, uniforms. I must have the ship. Now, this is where my my original idea for resolving this. this Tell us, this is the best. Is if this character were actually what was left of Gary Mitchell from Mm -hmm. Where No Man Has Gone Before. I love love that. that. Ever since you first told told me that, I thought that was just brilliant. Because why wouldn't he, you know, sort of continue to exist in a uh, spiritual plane and get powerful and and but he would be still stuck in the center of the galaxy hello jim except it would be at the edge of the galaxy instead of at the center of the galaxy yeah well you know the, whatever. Uh, the lithium cracking station haven't we been here before i seem to recall no yeah. this is seti alpha six right <laughs> but it still would have been great if it had been gary lockwood yeah you know or pierre Doulet as the star child <laughs> All this stuff is good stuff here. This mm-hmm. is, this, these effects are not embarrassing the way the rest of it is. 
Because they're simple and they're and, not and, trying to do too much. And Cybok's resolution, where he, he realizes his mistake and uh, he tries to uh, correct it uh, and uh, sacrifices himself, is is really good. Yeah, it's uh, he's going to alternative factor the shit out of this. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what if Lazarus? <laughs> I actually, I love this moment. Share it with me. Right, that's a good death. Yep. Yeah, that's a good death. It's actually better than Decker and Ilea. It is. <laughs> Although, well, nowhere very near as sexy. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we know why you want this, Will. <laughs> Versus Kambada. Plus, you know, the other problem with the Enterprise not working in this movie is like, you want to see the Enterprise be badass. Yeah. That's what's so great about the motion picture. The Enterprise is so freaking cool. And and it's like, you know, and so when it's not working, it's sort of disappointing. But it's like in this movie, it's like we just got a new ship. And if we want to see it kick ass, we don't want to see it be like falling apart. And, and it and not doesn't working enhance and, the drama. If you think about it, for yeah. second, like in Star Trek 2, we've got a ship full of children. Right. We've got a ship full of cadets. So in a way, the Enterprise oh, Anakin's is down there. I knew. <laughs> uh, Star Trek two and Star Trek three. You have a, a ship that is not completely functional. And yet um, that, that lack of functionality was used to enhance the drama. Right. The Enterprise still felt cool mm -hmm. in spite of all that. Right. Like you were making the most of the limitations here. It just feels like um, she wasn't in uh, in top shape because if she were, the story is impossible. Yeah. In three, right, it's being fine. destroyed. And in six, it's being decommissioned. And right. in four, we don't really see it until the end. So yeah. it would have been nice to see the Enterprise the way we like to see the Enterprise. Which meant is meant to be. Yeah. One now, the rest, movie, another, the rest of this movie is awful. It's all yeah. piecemeal. I mean, obviously, yeah. they, they would have been, uh, been pursued by the rock creatures uh, chasing out there. And that would be them trying to tear apart the shuttle. Although it kind of feels like once God is destroyed, like it's not over. Like the, the fact yeah, that they're but, still being hunted and, you know, it's Galileo 7. I mean, Galileo 7 was scary. Like well, that was yeah. more scary when they were in the shuttle and you don't see those giant creatures that are pounding on the Galileo 7. I like not just a goddamn minute. And you think the end of Doomsday Machine, where Kirk's left on the Constellation, how great that is. And unfortunately, this has none of that. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, by the way, like, this it's is all pointless. Piecemeal. Yeah. Uh, this is terrible. Except Again. that it does lead to a moment that I love. What's that? Um, it's, uh, you know, I knew that I wasn't going to die. I was, right. Because I wasn't alone. Right. Yeah, it's we, like that's true. That's great. What about Jim? We can't just leave him down there. And then he proceeds to die in generations alone. Klingon captain wishes to name his turn. But yeah. I, I, I tend to think that's not canon. But then I'm insane. Shakespeare guy. <laughs> I, I think, I think uh, after Star Trek VI, it's questionable if anything's canon. <laughs> <laughs> Except for Deep Space Nine. Yeah. <laughs> This is terrible. He's terrible. Any one of us could have been better than this guy. Him aboard. Captain Kirk is not among us. You lie. I'm a Vulcan. I'm incapable of lying. Captain Kirk is on the planet below. Then give me his coordinates. I mean, and this could have been clever. They couldn't beam him up, so they manipulate the Klingons and the beaming him up, which saves his life. But it's just done so ham-handedly. 
Well, like you said, they, it's just like they this you really feel the scissors on. It yeah. was just <sighs> damn you, sir. You I like this. I just feel like between the effects and how ham fisted the ending is, that's why this movie has the reputation it has. Absolutely. Because yep. it, it leaves the audience with a bad taste in its mouth. Yeah, and then that ADR line, someone wants to talk to you. It's right. like this whole thing was created in the edit bay. It was never supposed to be this. And then they did the reshoots um, with, um, you know, meet your new gunner. Yeah. Oh, by the way, here's the other problem with this. So we were talking about what a great death Cybok had, right? You're paying, share it with me. And it's a heroic moment, but apparently it didn't accomplish anything. Busy right. still alive, yeah. No, because it takes the, uh, uh, the, 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 the Gatlin guns on the uh, Klingon ship to um, kill him. Yeah, which means that now, it didn't... If, see, if the Gatlin guns had been there shooting rock monsters, <laughs> yeah, that right. would have made sense <laughs> yeah. instead of the floating godhead. That's yeah. right. Which, if it can't handle one Klingon bird of prey, then the threat of it being carried around all of creation doesn't seem so yeah. horrible. I mean, I have to say, you know, because these are repurposed sets. Well, these look good. Yeah. <laughs> the old sets look good that they actually spent money on. Kirk, my junior officer has something he wants to say to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah see, this was all part of the reshoots. Right. Oh. Apologize. Oh, God. And then that's part of the reshoots because you can tell that Shatner looks... Like he's been in post for a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's got the, he's kind of glassy eyed. Yeah, it's oh. like oh yeah, I've been the edit bay and they've been giving me a lot of chocolate. Our new gunner. I mean, and then, and this was supposed to be like you know getting a huge ovation for the guy. And there's nothing worse than you can tell it's designed to be like a, a crowd cheering moment, and yeah. there's no reaction in the theater. Yeah. It's just, oh, you feel like you feel bad for the filmmakers. Right. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, he'd already accomplished it with right. Damn You, Sir, You Will Try. Mm hmm. Possible. You were never alone. Right. Not in front of the Klingons. <laughs> Not in front of the Klingons. Ugh. This simple feeling is beyond there. Comprehension. <laughs> <laughs> oh, effect shot of the Enterprise and the Klingons making their way away. Although from I the... think that's one of the only motion control shots of the ship that are in the movie. Yeah, because the ship's actually moving. Yeah. Yeah. Scotch whiskey. A real Scott would so never now call they're it having, Scotch whiskey. Uh, He'd right. just call it whiskey. That's right. Now they're having dinner in the in the nautical room. Uh, dinner will be served in the nautical room at five o'clock. Uh, <laughs> I mean, again, more of this dumb comedy. Well, so unnecessary. Jay is a great actor. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, and that, that was supposed Baseball to be a moment, but they just didn't, I probably didn't shoot it. I've always yeah. hated Klingons, and I always and I never, 
I've forgiven them for the death of my boy, except in Star Trek Five. That's right. I forgave him that one time. <laughs> but this is nice. Again, this is what you were talking about earlier. Maybe he's not out there, boss. You know, we sort of sum up what we've mm-hmm. learned in this episode. Well, here's the here's the funny thing. Obviously, uh, you know, when Spock says, I lost a brother, and Kirk says, well, I lost a brother once, we're all saying, yeah, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> with the, the brain parasites. <laughs> yeah, the neural parasites. <laughs> neural parasites. And the little known reserve, uh, Vulcan inner eyelid. That's right. I was lucky I got him back. I... Yeah, see, I mean, this is nice. It, it, the movie had more moments like this. It would have a much better reputation. Yeah. yeah. But it is undone by its efforts to be a blockbuster. It's yeah. Because well, it doesn't have the resources no. to do it. And so Star Trek 4. And, 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 and the, the, tone. The, the tone. The the uneven tone. All the comedy mixed with the actual great drama. And the product placement for Levi's. <laughs> so here we are back at Yosemite. We're back on stage, actually, <laughs> where uh, the 12. family has been reunited. They're having their marshmallows. He's playing the Vulcan harp. And uh, McCoy looks like he's ready to be wrapped. <laughs> Life is but a Of course, it's nice to see them out of uniform, you know, just to do yeah. something different. Merrily, 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 row, row, row your boat. Row, 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 row your boat. And we move out into we'll a, a little dissolve to a not so great map painting. You know, it's better than most. And here comes Jerry kicking in with the horns. And here, roll credits. And a great cast. Another mention. <laughs> there you go. And, and David Warner, uh, despite the thanklessness of his role in this movie, will return as Klingon Chancellor Gorkon. Much Eddie's much better. Yeah. Caitlin Dar said, so "There you go. I'm Caitlin Dar." <laughs> there he is George Murdoch as God in quotation as God marks. In quotation marks. Yeah. Pitchman, Steve Susskind. Do you really want that credit? Okay. Bill Quinn is McCoy's father, Melanie Shatner, Yeoman. Okay, gentlemen. Well, there you have it. That was Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Any thoughts about uh, your latest rewatch of this classic film, Ashley Miller? Uh, The things, look, we've talked a lot about the things that don't work. The things that work about this movie work so well. They hold up so well. It's it's worth the price of admission to get to those scenes on the, uh, the, the repurposed 10 forward set. Uh, and a lot of the interaction between the crew. And I think it is it is a, a more authentically human story in that way than, uh, than, we, than we generally get. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we sat down and we, we did this. Um, and, uh, you know, I still have a lot of affection for this film. It just, the, the things that make me crazy about it, make me crazy in the way that like my children can sometimes make me crazy. Well, you know, <laughs> fans of this podcast will recall, I referred to space talk as the blue bayou of space. So I think if we're going to call the 10 forward nautical lounge, uh, by its appropriate des- Disney designation, I have to say it was sort of like the Swiss family Robinson treehouse. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit. A little bit. You know, 
And uh, there you go. And Terry Erdman was unit publicist on Star Trek Five. Terry, we, 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 we. I know he's been on the show. Uh, uh, Peter and Lisa spoke to him about his his books. Um, but uh, we, we might have to have him on, a la Eddie Egan, to talk about his memories of Star Trek Five. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Dave Fine was a Foley artist. Not yeah. the Dave well, Fine. Not, our not our Dave Fine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but uh, you know, speaking of which, I know first AD was Doug Wise. Uh, yeah. uh, Robert Wise's son. Um, it's did you deal? Son. It's not oh. his son. It's his oh, nephew. Yeah. Oh, did you work with him at all on? Um, no. Uh, on, on director's edition. No. But I'd love to know what his stories were because he was a first AD on a bunch of the Star Trek movies. He was. He was. Um, By the way, I, I think we should point out. Speaking of people that we've seen in Star Trek before, we're connected to people who were in Star Trek. Um, Charles Cooper, who played uh, Cord, the Klingon general, also yes. plays a Klingon. He plays uh, Chancellor uh, Kim Peck, um, right. Star Trek The Next Generation, third season. And he's much uh, better as Kim Peck. Much better as Kim Peck. He's quite yeah. good as Kim Peck, actually. Yeah, he really is. So, you know, you'll see a lot of these actors. But, you know, unfortunately, Caitlin Dar never came back. Yeah, sure she was in one of the out. novels. But I, I'm not surprised that they didn't bring Cynthia Gow back. Maybe, maybe she'll show up on discovery yeah <laughs> well or, maybe, maybe. or at, a, at a convention i think she was at uh, one of the conventions and speaking of conventions uh you can um oh there's greg jean yeah genius uh speaking of conventions you can all uh uh um, see ashley and and darren and me from afar at the uh upcoming uh, san diego comic-con as well as <laughs> the um uh, uh las vegas star trek 56 year mission uh, a creation uh, event, the Star Trek Las Vegas convention, as it's known. And this time, uh, August, we're not staying at the Rio. No, we're, no, we're really looking forward to um, uh, being there, and and uh, we're going to be doing some panels. And we hope you'll join us um, at the panels to uh, see us uh, um, talk about something we love, Star Trek. And of course, we'll be doing a very special 40th anniversary tribute to Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. And you can come and tell us. How could you defend Star Trek V? And we'll have to go through this all again. That's right. So um, there you have it. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, comes to its exciting conclusion with Dolby Stereo and selected theaters. And selected. And, and yes, we've skipped over four for some reason. Well, we will return to that. I know that Steve Asbell we'll wants to join us for day. the voyage home. We will We will do that. And uh, I actually got some comments about our Star Trek Three commentary from a um, a good friend of all of ours, and uh, I'm going to save that for another podcast because oh. um, they had a few bones to pick with us. Not about the quality. Oh no, was it general? No, it was about insurrection. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So I want to share those comments and more when we return uh, in the future. But for it's now, Rick, on behalf Rick of Berman, isn't it? Yeah, it was Rick. Rick, 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 <laughs> Rick was really irate after listening to the podcast. How could you say these things? That's right. Um, I still want to get Rick on the show. I, I, like I, I, I've talked to him about it in the past and he is always very polite and begging off. Uh, but uh, I'm hoping that maybe we can wear him down and get him on, on the, on the show in the future. So um, anyway, um, I want to encourage you to, uh, if you share your thoughts about Star Trek five and grow stronger through the sharing on Inglorious Trek at Twitter, Inglorious Trek Experts on Instagram, Inglorious Trek Experts on Facebook. And of course, um, you can uh, follow us uh, wherever you listen to podcasts and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, we hope you'll join us next week for an all new episode. Big shout out and thanks to um, the great Mark Rivera, our sound mixer, our sound 
uh, executive sound editor, Bill Ritter, who uh, don't think we love you any less, even though you've uh, uh, moved away from our show to work on other shows, but you're doing great. And our producers now, Miss Callie, Peter Holmstrom, and uh, Zach Raggetts. So until next week, on behalf of Ashley, Darren, and myself, Mark Altman. Wait, I got to stop before yeah. I say that. Darren, any closing remarks about Star Trek V? You know, I, I, I've always liked Star Trek V, um, but uh, you know, I've never respected Star Trek V. I've never sat down with Star Trek V. No, it, it's, look, it has wonderful moments. It has terrible moments. Uh, but frankly, I'm glad it's there because uh, it, uh, it is a mixture of all that is good and bad in Star Trek movies. There's a lot to learn from Star Trek V, good and bad. Indeed. And uh, hopefully people will. So, again, on behalf of <laughs> Ashley, Darren, myself, Mark A. Altman, keep on trekking, ingloriously, of course. And the briefing room is now closed. Mr. Scott, would you repeat what you just told us? About an hour ago, the bridge control started going crazy. Levers shifting by themselves, buttons being pushed, instrument readings changing. And on my monitor screen, I can see Mitchell smiling each time it happened, as if his ship and crew were almost a toy for his amusement. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.